0: Right about now, y'all should be hearing the intro music and everything else. For a new podcast, but as it is, this is actually the continuation of mine and Richard or Rato's conversation for our at 2019 Essen preview show. So that said, you are more than welcome to continue listening to this one. But if you have not already heard part one, I would recommend going and checking that out first and then picking things up here. But if you so desire, or if you've already listened to part one, enjoy the rest of the show. So my number 10 is what is probably going to be the weirdest game on my list, I think. You think? Uh, something that, well, I don't expect to have enjoyed. By the way, the, game, the logic game that I was referencing earlier is called Shipwreck Arcana. I forgot the name of that popped into my head. This is going to kind of be along the lines of that. It's just a weird sounding game to me, and that is The King's Dilemma. It is designed by, I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize, Hijalmar Hock and Lorenzo Silva. These guys co designed Dragon Castle, and they have other games, Photosynthesis, uh, let's see, uh, Railroad Inc. So I imagine folks are going to be familiar with the designers. Uh, this is going to be published by Horrible Games. And the premise of this game is unlike anything that I have encountered before. Uh, It's an interactive narrative experience with legacy elements. Mm -hmm. Let me stop there and say how off the beaten path that is compared to something that I would normally like. But there's something about this game that just speaks to me. It features several branching storylines leading to many possible finales and an evolving deck of event cards at its core. And I was like, what, (laughs) how? So it's sort of a co-op in a sense that you're going to draw a card from what's called the dilemma deck each round. And then the game is an experience that evolves as it goes along. And then it's almost a choose your own adventure from that collectively. Mm -hmm. Now you could play it as a solo game, obviously you being the ultimate decision maker in that case but you have to juggle a number of things, keeping the kingdom goal uh, going while also seeking an advantage for your own house here. Now it plays three to five. So I say you could do it as a solo game in that regards, but not as the game itself, the narrative aspect here to where you're collectively trying to keep the kingdom going, but you have your own ulterior motives and that narrative aspect of it, For some reason, again, going back to the medieval thing that I don't like, but apparently I really do like.
1: clearly you love it. Uh, You want to marry it.
0: And the the difference, uh, I guess... Uh, The screens that have to do with the various uh, houses that you're going to represent, you mark on victory points. There's some hidden stuff that is not public information here and different achievements that you're trying to uh, achieve within your own house. So you have a collective goal while also being uh, your own goal. Uh, It almost um, what's the plat Hat game? Uh, that was uh, uh, shoot, dead the zombie apocalypse, dead, of dead a winner. It kind of gives that feel, and that game has no appeal to me whatsoever. Yet, this one does the map that it comes with, just everything about this game. It's kind of like Millennium Blades for me. There's so many reasons I should not like <laughs> that game, yet I love Millennium Blades. This game kind of has that feel like it, it's a, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah. But yet it it appeals to me and I wish I could put my finger on it as to why. Again, this is my top 20 list. So there you go. The King's Dilemma from Horrible Game. Not something I would expect.
1: I uh, would love to experience this game, but unfortunately the three-player minimum just pretty much uh, dismisses it out of hand. But I have heard nothing but great things about it. As I understand, basically the gameplay core of this game is with three players minimum, probably better with more. Seeing as how everybody is kind of like a uh, secret behind-the-scenes mover and shaker, uh, influencer of the king, Uh, a a given session is going to be effectively vote after vote after vote. Okay, um, this is what, this is how we can change the kingdom. It'll probably help some people. It won't help other people. We all have our own secret goals we're trying to achieve, and we all have to come together to decide, is this decree going to pass or not? And these, uh, changes are permanent. They aren't just for that session, but they continue to influence the world during subsequent gameplay sessions, which is where the Hence legacy. is the legacy yes. aspect. And yep. I mean, I love everything about that. And as I understand it, it would not work. The voting, the core, which is the core of the game would not work for two players, which breaks my heart. Cause it sounds so cool. Your, it really ten. does.
0: And, and there you go. So my number 10, the King's, Dilemma. Okay. Off the beaten path. Yes.
1: All right. Well, now let's talk about my number 10, which is something I think we can both agree with because it was your number 12, if I Correct. recall correctly. A little old Western Euro-style game called Coloma. Now, this is basically kind of a 2.0 uh, reimagining of a game that came out a few years ago called Hangtown from the same designer, Johnny Pack. And when I first covered Hangtown, I thought it was brilliant. And I said at the time that, although I had a few problems with it, It was... Basically, captured the feel to me of Race for the Galaxy in uh in, in, in the Old West, because it is all about everybody trying to build up their own ideal Old West Town, all the buildings you can build give you special powers and whatnot, you know, managing resources and all the rest of it. But the fundamental difference is in Race for the Galaxy, every round, everyone's gonna choose an action. And what you want to do is figure out what is everybody else gonna do so that I can follow them and get bonus actions by kind of drawing rafting are off of their coattails. Um, Hangtown, and now, even better, Coloma, totally flipped the script on that, and what you're trying to do is figure out, what is everybody else going to do right? I'm going to do something completely different. Because in a given round, the more people do a given action, whether it's, you know, gather resources or build up their town or whatever it is, the weaker that action gets. Which thematically makes sense. If there's limited amounts of people in town who can help you with whatever your goal is, you want to be the one person who's going to the barber while everybody else is, uh, you know, going to down to the saloon. Not that those are actions, but you get the idea. Um, because that means you will have a super powerful move if you're the only one doing it, while everybody else has a really weak sauce move. And so this game, round after round after round, is so exciting and tense because you're just, oh, okay, I, I understand. I know what Bob is going to do, and I think I know what Betty's going to do, because I can see what her situation is, and therefore, because of that, I will do this other thing, I'll be the only one to do it, and I'll get all, and then everybody does that because everybody kind of saw the same thing, and everybody thought, oh, that's the one thing no one's going to do, and then, boom, everybody does it, and and you just get these really fun and unexpected outcomes. But the core of this game is all about reading your opponents and knowing when everybody else is going to zag, that's when I zig. Um, In addition to that, the the core gameplay of the resource generation and building up your town is very, very satisfying as well. There's several different kind of sub-games that are going on, including a kind of mapping out the Old West, and, uh, uh, you know... A panning for gold. Uh, there's a central economy. The more gold that is found, the less that it's worth because it's not rare anymore. So there's a lot of interaction between players, but never mean interaction. It's always about these positive figuring out what other people are doing and using that to my benefit if somebody else creates an opportunity for can i take advantage of it and uh, i played hangtown and thought it was amazing but just not very good for two i can say coloma works brilliantly now as a two-player game and i suspect works well at higher player counts too and it's my number 10 uh, most anticipated game of the show coloma
0: and my number 12 so a few notes on this first off i have Hangtown. I've oh, had it for okay. a number of yes. years, but I've yet to play Oh, it. no! It, it, it's in the library, so matter of time it will get played so it'll be interesting to be able to compare and contrast that in addition to that i see and you know him you know johnny pack from hangtown mm-hmm. and even though he obviously designed that game i know him as the designer of sierra west which just came yes. out from Borden dice at gen Con. johnny pack is and, having a
1: good year this year definitely
0: right and so that's that was the initial appeal for me Uh, with this game was oh Sierra West I enjoyed that okay I want to see what this is about and the description as you go through it kind of reminds me of some of the aspect that I enjoy most in Glass Road Mm, oh my gosh yes you're able to piggyback off of other players actions to where you don't want to be able to them to be able to do that in a sense that they're able to play more cards by being able to piggyback if they guess what you can yep. do. And so that playing of players, like I know that, you know, that I know mm-hmm, that, you know, mm-hmm. type thing. I really enjoy that aspect of board games. And so being able to have that brought into this game, plus the fact that it says it plays one to six players. And now granted uh, the community says it's best at six, Take that with a grain of salt because it's not available yet. So I don't know if that's necessarily (laughs) going to be the case, but that's not a normal play count that you're going to see Uh, plays 60 to 90 minutes, which also appeals to me. The fact that it's not a super short game, not that there's anything wrong with those. It's just I when it comes to a lot of these games, I'm looking for meat on the bones. So therefore, yeah. That coupled with the designer of Sierra West and Hangtown, uh, yeah, a lot going for it. And so it's my number 12 uh, interested to dig into Coloma in your number 10, good sir.
1: And now let's move on to number nine. What do you got for All right.
0: Hey, my next couple are going to be really easy. We're going to talk about it more here in a little bit because this one's going to be higher on Richard's list. So that is my number nine. It
1: is amazing. We were talking about this earlier out of well over a thousand games for us and and you and I both coming from very different walks of life within the board game geek sphere for us to have these uh, overlaps just means, well, these games must be really, really special. So we'll talk about your number nine in a minute. Um, Well, yes, I'm confident. My number nine, then, is Aquatica. And this is another game from Cosmodrome. A little bit ago, we talked about Skytopia. And uh, last year, of course, Cosmodrome hit it big with Smartphone Inc. Aquatica is a very, very cool game about... Uh, uh, under the sea nations of, you know, fish people trying to explore the underwater ocean floor to gather the resources to recruit, uh, you know, important personages within royalty so that you can score lots of victory points. Now, standard Urui stuff. In fact, I. I I totally understand why a lot of people look at it and say, boy, this reminds me a lot of Bruno Cafala's The Abyss. It has a lot.
0: That's exactly what I thought when I saw exactly. it. Exactly.
1: Yes. It's it very, very similar presentation. Not that either of these guys invented the fish people under the sea trope. That's been a, that's been with us for centuries. But, um, it's a radically different game. And what really makes the game special has to do with the physical components. Each player has their own little kingdom board and, um, every round. There are several cards out on display that uh, you know players can draft one after another. And different types of cards, ones that are, again, uh, uh, influential people that give you special powers, but the important ones, the ones you're really seeking, are these landscape tiles. When you end up taking one of those, you know paying the resources needed to take it, you put it on your own player board, but each player board has slots that these cards slide into. And it creates this kind of mechanical representation of the passage of time. Because this particular bit of land I've grabbed has the potential to generate all kinds of resources for me. One, I got it but not immediately. I have to kind of harvest these things, and what happens is, as I do actions that allow me, I believe it's literally called sliding, or I forget what the term was, but basically, as I slide a given card that I previously conquered into my board, so that more and more of it literally get gobbled up by my physical player board, that means I am consuming all the resources that that thing gives. And what'll happen is, over the course of the game, you will have three, or four, or five different territories that all have the potential to generate different stuff for you. And you'll get into circumstances where, right, okay, I can slide a card. Which one am I going to do? Which one of these landscapes am I going to activate so that I can get uh, resource X, Y, or Z to achieve whatever my other goals are because we all have secret objectives and all the rest of it. Once you get a card completely consumed, once it's literally been physically um, consumed by your player board to where there's just nothing barely peeking out, that means you then get to score the card for in-game. So, you are heavily encouraged to do this. And a big part of the game is, well, do I go broad and give myself a whole bunch of different uh, terrain cards that I can can harvest, but I don't really score many of them? Do I really just focus on one or two? And as the game goes on and you get more and more powerful, what you will very quickly find is you get into turns where you're doing really wonderful, fun, and compelling combo chains of, oh, well, because I slid this one, that actually gave me a power to let me slide two more, which means I slid these two, and that gave me the resource I need to trigger this other ability that means now I can score these ones even though they haven't been I'm consumed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and um, you know the game really starts to escalate. You start off just doing very simple things, just grabbing a card at a time, but by the end of the game, you are pulling off big turns. So that's the core of what makes the game really fun. The main thing that's driving, I should have mentioned, maybe I shouldn't even have even led with this, if you've ever played Concordia, that notion of, I got a handful of cards, I play a card a turn and do what it says, that's my whole turn. Um, and... Uh, You know, and that's how I grab these cards to you know get them in position so I could literally eat them, or my board would literally eat them. Uh, The interesting thing is, like Concordia, (laughs) you are uh, you're 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 playing more and more of these cards, and eventually you got to make that choice. Oh, I do not want to spend a whole turn recalling my entire hand, but I've run out of the good cards, Um, and this is a fast game. I, I don't know what the official time is. I assume it's under an hour. Uh, Jen, I certainly found it that is, to be It is. It's the case. 30
0: to 60. Yeah. Yep. So,
1: in this incredibly fast game, you would much rather not have to do that. And so, instead, you could recruit more of the personage cards to give you more powers. But if you're doing that so that you don't have to waste time recalling your hand, then you're not getting those all-important territory cards, which is the primary source of any kind of combo change you're going to do. So, the game is just full of tough choices to make as, you, you can't do it all, so you got to pick A, B, or C, and they're all interesting and valid ways to go. And all that combined with an absolutely gorgeous presentation. And I I just can't stress enough how satisfying it is to see your landscape card just slowly getting eaten, just gobbled up as you consume all those resources. It's just, it has a really wonderful, fun, physical presence that accentuates an already lovely puzzle Euro. That's my number nine, Aquatica.
0: All right, so I had dismissed this a bit out of hand uh, when I read the first sentence: "Aquatica, deep but easy to learn, family engine builder about underwater kingdoms," and eh, not really what I'm looking mm-hmm. for. However, once again, Rado strikes. <laughs> uh, so, a couple things it that struck me about this, listening to you about uh, going through this, as well as you know, having uh, taken a look at it when we were getting ready to do these lists first. It's amazing how much a physical component or a physical mechanism can impact someone's enjoyment and just add that little je ne sais quoi that adds to their enjoyment. The tactile nature of this
1: game is a big part of the appeal, yes.
0: And you're talking about the combos and how satisfying that is. I I think a lot of us that enjoy playing board games uh, agree with you. Your description of this reminds me of another game that is all about building combos like that, which fairly recent is uh, Ecos First Mm. Continent Yes, from John D. Claire. Very different games, but similar feel right and that's that's what i first came to mind when you mentioned that and we played that uh during our streaming through gen con and i really enjoyed the combo building aspect of this game and looking at the artwork on this there's a great white shark or a megalodon Mm -hmm. i guess on here that wow does that look pretty so the artwork is definitely appealing and maybe maybe when i stop by the cosmodrome booth i ought to take a look at this one as well as the other two the one we've mentioned and the other we will mention later uh i will put it back onto my (laughs) "Hmm." i'll take a look at this so there you go all right so that is your number eight
1: no that was my number nine we now Uh, sorry your number nine move on to your number eight where there we go you uh uh, i will wait exactly higher on your Once again list. more so overlap between <laughs> so your number eight will have to wait uh let's it move will. on to my number eight russ Rough- your number eight before go you get on.
0: started i will say that i don't normally like implementations and i'm not normally terribly keen on implementations of games that go from a big game yeah. that then turn it into the card yes. game or the dice yes. game or whatever um But this next one, I'm really intrigued by, even though it's not on my list. It's on my list to check out for sure. It
1: should be, uh, because it is Brussels 1897. And if that sounds familiar to folks, this is effectively Brussels 1893, The Card Game. As Edward mentioned. Um, Actually, yeah. Sorry, folks. i uh, totally uh, lost track of what happened there. Uh, Edward hit some button or other. What was I saying? I did. Brussels 1893. The card game, also known as Brussels 1897, captures the core flavor of that wonderful modern classic. I mean, have you played Brussels 1893, Edward? Oh, yeah. Uh, many times. Yeah. Fantastic game. Phenomenal game. Put that designer... um uh, uh, Etienne Esperon I believe Yep Definitely on the map I mentioned when I played it All those years ago I mean you know, He was given Feld To run for his money In terms of Deep, rich Complex gameplay But still very approachable Fun core ideas And uh, Brussels 1897 Truly does capture The core Of of uh, 1893. And that core is the notion that this is a worker placement game where every worker you place has three things you have to consider. The action you want to do by placing it in a given space in um, the city of Austria in you know the turn of the century during the art deco movement. Uh, you know Whether it is that you want to gather resources to build stuff or collect fine works of art or try to sell fine works of art or the various and sundry actions you're doing. Um, so you, you put a worker to do that. But when you place that worker down, that is an implicit bid in an auction that will play out at the end of the round uh, where everybody is trying to bid more and more to get access to these really powerful bonuses Um, but in addition to that the position you place that worker is partaking in an area control dominance game mini game for points as well and a sizable amount of your points could come from forget what the action was I just put a worker there so I could uh, grab that space and win two or three area control bonuses and that's what the original game was this new game does the exact same core idea. It works just as well as it did, whatever, uh, seven or eight years ago, but um, in an incredibly tiny footprint and in a game that, instead of lasting upwards of an hour and a half or two hours, can be gotten done in 30 to 40 minutes. So it just gives you an incredible rush of really tough, agonizing decisions. Every worker, what are you going to do with it? I mean, what are you going to focus on? What is the best strength? The auction, the area control, or the core action... Um, and then, of course, that is the fundamental thing that drives the art speculation you're doing, the uh, buildings that you're actually trying to create, the real historical people who you're trying to recruit to give you extra actions, and all the rest of it. Other fun stuff includes the fact that um, your workers, which are represented by these cards, can get arrested. Uh, and uh, they get thrown in the hoose gal for doing illicit activities, which is to say, working on the stock market and not actually staying true to their artistic assistant roots like they're supposed to. So, you, uh, in addition to everything else, you're also balancing the fact that your worker force is constantly in flux. And um, you suddenly don't have that super powerful worker that was really, really good to help you win all the auctions you were going for. Um, but instead, you've gotten somebody else bailed out, and that just fundamentally changes your situation from round to round. I was blown away. It made my top 10 games of the year. Uh, the original Brussels 1893 made my top 10 worker placement games of all time. And I'm gonna say, for my uh for for me and for Jen and what we're looking for, 1897 improves on the original because it cuts away all the fat. There were a lot of things going on in 1893. Um, you know, the, the way the, the cost of building goods changed based on that little clock wheel, and the, uh, the easel you place that, like, cut off different areas of the board for worker placement, and, um, you know, the, the constant shifting um, wants of the art world. All that stuff's been uh, cleaned up so you can just focus like a laser on the thing that really made the game special. Another thing that's really nice, too, unlike the original game where um, the board had a little bit of variety for worker placement from around to Here, the board changes radically from round to round because you build it every round by laying out a bunch of cards to create new worker placement opportunities, uh, which is just much cleaner and more intuitive and elegant than the original game, which had a similar but weird offbeat system with the easel. So uh, I've already uh, played the prototype. I've done a run-through, so you can see more about it. But yeah, we were over the moon. Uh, It brought back really good feels to go back to Brussels for 1897.
0: Look good. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. I have not. I have not played this yet. Uh, I have not been privy to do so, but I am also a big fan of Brussels 1893 and some of the extraneous things, not extraneous, but some of the things that this cores down or pairs down. I wonder if I'm going to miss them because I do like those decisions that the rest of the the actual I don't want to call it the base game but the game in which inspired this uh I don't know if I'm going to miss it but that said it carries forward the art uh nouveau I think or yes. art deco the, the one, art one nouveau of those styles era. yeah okay it carries that style through so it feels I don't know that there are many other games that fe- just that aesthetic uh feel like when I when I see Brussels 1893 I know what game it is because it has such a distinct art style and this carries that forward and from looking at the pictures and everything that you describe there's a lot of reasons for me to like this because I too find 1893 such a wonderful uh, worker placement as well as other uh, mechanism game so it's definitely high on my list and out of 150 games (laughs) that I'm going to end up bringing home. Only 20 can make this list. Mm -hmm. So even though it's not on my top 20, it's still very high on my, oh, I'm going to get a copy while I'm there and bring it home to be able to bring it onto our show, as well as I just want to play. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Brussels uh, 1897, which... I imagine it's going to confuse some people, be like, wait, are you talking about the board game I agree. or the card game version of this? I
1: agree. So I think they would have been much better suited just to call it 1893, the card game, like last year's Carson City, the card game or, you know, many, many other games out there or really change the name, like going from Puerto Rico to San Juan. This kind of halfway market just confuses everybody. I don't think it was necessary. Yeah,
0: I think it's going to do a disservice big picture. I don't think it's a big deal one way or the other. I will say had they called it Brussels 1893 the card game, I might have overlooked it much more readily than I would see 1890s. I'm like, ooh, what is this? Is this a C? Oh, it's a card game. (laughs) All right, well, let me check into it. No, I'm serious. That's exactly how the thought process went. It's
1: interesting. I would assume Um, they probably made that change because interestingly, it's a totally Different publisher. The original one came from uh, Pearl and uh, Z-Man, right. but uh, they, uh, the uh, uh, antion Esperman and friends, basically started their own publisher to publish. This. uh So they are plucky little upstart, and I mean they've, they've got a fantastic little card game. I, 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 I yeah, think it's uh,
0: well. I'm excited to hear that uh, you think so highly of it. So, needless to say, like I said, definitely on my list. Yes. So there you go. That is your number eight, which brings us to um our,
1: Ex- our our
0: number seven number seven which again what are the odds that we match up not just the same game sure having the same game on both of our yeah. lists okay that can happen but having it in the exact same place that's the second time it's the
1: second time okay. in this top 20 yeah. and i believe it's not the last either it is not uh, which so, is absolutely yeah. crazy anyway. and again you swear you did not peek in my list. This just—I
0: I did not. No, the only now uh, full disclosure, I did on the expansions. Oh, okay, which uh, on on the on my podcast yep, we're, yep. we're going to be going over, I did take a gander at that, and I did kind of like, well, Rado's got that. I can <laughs> leave that off and throw this extra one on. Yep. So there was that, but it did not happen with the main list, nor with the uh, demo only list. All right. So there you go. So, so long is way to say, yours and our number, number seven. seven. Is the magnificent, the magnificent uh designed by Elif Svensson, uh Christian Amundsen Ostby, and published by Aporta and Jumping Turtle Games. I know very little about this oh, game, really? full disclosure. Okay, I really I, I've seen it talked about on social media, which usually not to be total board game hipster guy, but the more people are talking about it, the more mainstream, the more I'm like, eh, I don't know if it's really going to grab me. However, from a mechanism standpoint, as well as an aesthetic, there's a whole lot about this that just piques my interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're it's kind of a Trickerion type setting themes in it. And I, I'm the world's biggest five-year-old when it comes (laughs) to magic and I want to be fooled. And as they say, magicians are con men, but there's an agreement between the audience and a magician that we are allowing you to con us. We don't mind it. It is not immoral in which to do so. So I've always been fascinated with magic and illusion and all of that. And that's what this theme is all about. And outside of that, the only other digging that I have done on this game is the back of the box, mm-hmm. which is what's pictured on BGG. So I assume that you have more experience. I have more, played it, yes. There. Well, there, So there, I kind there, of buried the away. lead there.
1: I probably... Uh, <laughs> you did. Go. <laughs> yes. Uh, in fact, my run through will be going up for it in a couple of days. Uh, it is a dice drafting game. Which uh, earlier in your podcast, we uh, came to a conclusion we both love. And uh, it's a really, really good one. The designers you mentioned previously worked together to give us Santa Maria which was one of the best dice drafters in years. And An incredibly deep, rich, uh, tile-laying game um, just full of really interesting, crunchy decisions. And while this the, this is a dice drafter and there is tile-laying, it's a very, very different experience. Um, we're Every round, there's a bunch of dice. There are different colors that represent the different facets of your traveling circus that you're trying to run. I forget. I think... I don't remember, uh, the purple dice are kind of mystical acts, the orange dice are fire-based acts, and the green dice are, are animal acts, something like that. But anyway, as at the beginning of the round, we're drafting dice. This represents us kind of making an investment in one of our acts, whether it's an animal act or a fire act. Um, and with each die we grab, we can either use it uh, to try to recruit more uh, employees that will help us with those types of acts, try to build the tents that we need to put that type of act on, or... Actually, put on a show and try to score lots of points. And um, unlike Trakirian, which you know does a lot of the same stuff, but that's much more registered. You spend pretty much the whole game building up for for big shows. Here, uh, it, it's it's a lot more fluid. Uh, I might do a little bit of work and then put on a little show, or I might spend the whole game getting ready for one big gigantic show, or what have you. Um, the crux of the interesting decisions has to do not with the color of the dice, but that you know that's a very important element. Each die has two core things you have to consider. The color, i.e. what facet of your uh circles you're gonna focus on, but the pip value. This is a game where the higher the number, the better. Because if I take a green six, that means I get to do a very strong level six action, whether it's building green tents or um, you know, hiring more green employees or what have you. The interesting thing is, after I've taken one green die, and it was a nice, big, powerful six, there's another green die out there. I'll go ahead and grab that green four. And now it gets added to the previous one, so I get to do a level 10 green action. And then if I grab a third green die, and it's a a three, now I'm doing a level 13. So they compound, and, and they get stronger and stronger. So the game very strongly incentivizes you, encourages you, focus on one thing because you can just build up for super powerful like level 20 actions that can I mean, you know, it means you could build up a sizable portion all at once instead of just building little piecemeal things when you're doing like level four or level five actions here's the problem though at the end of the round like i said grabbing these dice is kind of like making an investment on the equipment the personnel etc you need at the end of the round you gotta pay Of course. And money is tight. Here's the way the payment system works Uh, you look at all the dice you collected, whichever color has the highest total, that's how much money you have to pay. So, in that example where I grabbed three green dice and I got all the way up to a big, gigantic level 13 power, that means I got to pay 13 coins. And that's a lot. If on the flip side, I had grabbed uh, a level six green and then a level six uh, uh, orange and a level six purple, hey, my highest value is only you owe six. six bucks. I owe six yeah. bucks. So you are incentivized to dig deep and go huge, but you're also equally incentivized to spread it out and not focus on anything um, so that you can keep costs down. And both approaches are equally valuable and uh, trying to navigate that decision space because while you're trying to make that decision, those dice are different. Disappearing very quickly because there aren't very many dice to draft in the first place. If you can't get the color you want, you can always take one of the crystal dice, which represents, um, you know, kind of a general purpose loan that can be the—it's a wild card. It can go towards any color, but you have to pay right. the full price for every one of those dice. So they add up super fast and can bankrupt you almost immediately and um, in this game if you can't pay at the end of the round you lose progressively more and more and more and more points this is one of those games where the rules clearly say hey you know what as you're losing points if it goes below zero keep going mister because uh, you can really dig yourself a Martin Wallace style very deep hole if uh well
0: if, and as we say we we're both masochists so we we both enjoy that aspect yep. so there's that so
1: that's the th- that's the thing that really makes it special, the, this economy that's driven through dice drafting. The rest of the game is excellent as well. The Tetris-style uh, puzzle-laying thing uh, kind of has shades of Baron Park where, oh, I, I want to get all these different tents to fit together because I need the right tents to put on the right types of shows, but if I can cover up certain spots on my player board, that will give me access to more money or points or resources. And, and it's interesting. It's a very quick game. You only play through three... Rounds, uh, where you're gonna draft four dice each time. So you're only taking 12 turns over the course of the entire game. But one of the resources you can get are called trainers, uh, which basically translate into extra bonus actions you can take every turn. There is a public supply of them, these kind of general purpose ones like change the color of a die you drafted to another color, you know, those kinds of things. Right. But then over the course of the game, you are also collecting your own private little trainers, special powers. And so another decision is grab those public ones, grab these private ones. And by the end of the game, even though you're only doing four actions around with all your trainers, you might have six or seven trainers too. So you can pull off really, really big. um, Well, ultimately it's to throw off really gigantic shows where you put on like four or five entertainers all at once, all of whom you you had to juggle so many different um, input outputs to get to there. But when you pull it off, it feels fantastic. So I'm going to say... I still like Santa Maria. I think it's the better game. It's a bit deeper, richer, crunchier, um, with its uh, extra level of tiling that you have to focus on. But oh man, this is just, you know, coming right up, um, on, on being almost as great. Uh, both my wife and I, we were totally blown away by it when we got to play it. Uh, you'll see my run through for it, uh, very shortly. I, I, I think, I think it is a great follow up to Santa Maria, which was one of the best games I played in years. So that's so my number this- seven.
0: So that, there's this huge buildup you have, like, I'm like, all right, this sounds great. And then you're like, but I think Santa Maria is the better game.
1: Uh, Santa Maria. Yeah. Well, are you not a Santa Maria man? No, no. I enjoyed Santa yeah.
0: Maria just fine, but that's it. Like, I think it's fine. I don't think mm. now my next game that we're going to talk about all right. as far as a dice game, uh, I think is going to trump most any other dice drafting game or dice game out there. That said, well, um, tell me all about it. I'm still really excited. Because, I, I, a, as you mentioned, we're both huge fans of dice-drafting games. And I like, as we mentioned earlier, chaining combos just feels good. Yes. Whenever you're able to pull these things off, it just feels good. Yeah. The artwork looks beautiful in this. It has a, a compelling theme to me, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's not just magicians. I understand. The circus in general um, or... Oh, yeah, I guess traveling circus would be a good way to put yeah. it. Uh, a lot of this is just appeals to me on a whole lot of levels, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it, even if it's not the heaviest game out there. No. And misnomer, not everything we like is it? gotta be heavy.
1: <laughs> so there's that. yeah, but your show just called cardboard wouldn't ever really got that well. I
0: don't no, I, I, real
1: generic at <laughs> that yeah, point. Exactly.
0: So there you go. That's both of our number sevens, the Magnificent. All
1: right, so what you got for six?
0: Which. All right, my number six is a game that I do have uh, quite a bit of experience with already, and that is Crystal Palace, uh, designed by Karsten Lauber and published by Fearline Spiele, as well as going to be coming out here in the U.S. by Capstone Games. So Crystal Palace kind of caught me off guard a little Mm. bit because when I talked to Clay at Capstone Games, he kept telling me about how excited he was for Cooper Island and Maracaibo, and all of this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but, dude, Crystal <laughs> Palace. And so he sent me a copy ahead of Gen Con, and we were able to stream it uh, just after Gen Con ended. And it is not a dice-drafting game, but it is it is a dice-setting game in which you have dice as workers. And unlike a game that you had mentioned earlier in your list, this game has a you can set your dice to whatever values you want Mm -hmm. and then it becomes a worker placement game from there and there are different buildings out there and it has to do with the world's fair In i'm trying to get the year it was 18 trying to remember what year uh 1851 the world's fair in london and these different buildings out there you are placing your dice as workers to be able to take various actions it's pretty standard euro type actions once you get past the dice placement and the dice setting actions or aspect of the game. When you set your dice, you're going to have to pay for your dice to whatever value you end up setting them at. So if you want a whole bunch of sixes and fives and fours, you can do so. You start out with a number of dice. I think it's three or four. So you could spend Potentially, for every pip, you're spending one dollar or one pound. And so if you have a lot of high value dice, it's going to be a very expensive turn for you. And Mm -hmm. as in the case of most good games, money is extraordinarily tight, especially early on. And so as you choose to uh, have stronger or higher value workers to be able to go out onto uh, these worker placement spaces or these action selection spaces, you're going to pay more money. When you, The reason you want higher value workers is because these spots, some of them have a minimum threshold, like this space must have a minimum five mm-hmm. or must have a minimum mm-hmm. three, et cetera. But not only that. But regardless of the order in which you place your workers out there, so let's say you place out a three value die on a spot and I come out and it has three available spots and I place a four value die out there, even though you placed first, I have a higher PIP value. I will activate my worker first in that location. And so even though you place first, I still might get the better action in that location. And so that's why you want the higher value dice, but it's going to cost you more money. And ultimately, it's to be able to generate various resources to be able to purchase cards, which then these cards will chain together to be able to make combinations to where you're going to get worth more va- uh, more victory points if certain cards match up. So if you get this card that is looking for this card, you not only get the value of this card and this card, but together they will grant you maybe four extra victory points, et cetera, et cetera. And then it becomes standard Euro after that. Mm-hmm. So the real hook to this game is that set your workers to whatever value you want, yeah. but also the playing of one another, the playing against your the your the other players at the table, from a standpoint of, "I know what you're going after, and I know you're going to want to go to this space, but how high are you willing mm-hmm. to set your worker? And do I think I can get away with setting my work? Cause you set all your workers at the beginning of a round.
1: Oh, so if you have, oh my. if you before have you place any there,
0: correct oh before anybody goodness. places any of their dice. And so it now becomes, okay, let me take a look at the board state and let me look at what everybody's trying to do. Well, I think this is going to be terribly important to you. So do I mind going second or third? So it's not only that part of it. And as you gain more workers, Hey, you get more workers. But that just means you're going to have to spend more mm. money because minimum value is one. In addition to that, and where my favorite aspect of this game comes from, is, okay, we all reveal what we set our dice to, and then we pay for our dice, respectively. But then, everybody, it's all open information at this point. I see that you have two fours and two ones. Well, once you've placed your fours, now I know I can wait for these other places, so I don't need to hurry to go there. So where do I think you're going to go? So now maybe I go here thinking you're going to go there, and all of a sudden, well, my one that is out there on that space, if there's a tie for pip value, the, further, the, the earlier you placed is the tiebreaker. Oh. So if I place a one and you place a one, I get to activate first. Mm-hmm. In addition to all of this, there are not always the same amount of worker placement spaces for actions as there are placing. What I mean by that is there might have spaces for three different dice on a given location, but there might only actually be two activations that it can happen in that space. So whoever places the lowest pit value just pulls their die back. Yep. And you get a dollar in, in as a consolation I assume that means prize. you didn't
1: have to pay the uh, salary for that die.
0: Oh, you are incorrect, sir.
1: Oh, Whoa, whoa, it can be <sighs> nasty.
0: The more players, sorry to the any more headphone
1: kid, wearers there if I blew out uh, your, the, your earbuds, the oh higher
0: God. the play count. Well, because you pay for your workers when you first reveal. Uh-huh what you set the PIP value. So you don't get a refund. You get a $1 refund if you didn't get to take the action. So then it becomes a matter of how important is it for me to go to this location? Can I wait to place a die there? If I can't, I better do it, but maybe you lose a little bit of liquidity in a sense that, well, now I used one of my high value dies. Now I have one of my high value dice. So I have less options at my disposal. And it just becomes a very intense game of playing the other players. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but that's the way it, I see it. I, being it yeah,
1: And if you're not playing that way, you're not playing to full effect.
0: Uh, I think I so. Think. So it does. I, I imagine those that do not like a lot of yeah. it's indirect. Take that. It's not me removing anything that you've done. It's not me tearing down mm-hmm. what you have done, but it might be, if I'm playing well enough, preventing you from doing yeah. what you want.
1: I'm reminded do. of Steffen Feld's Bora Bora. Uh it had yeah, a similar yeah, I could vibe see that. going on where everybody has dice and we're placing them out there. And oh, I could go do this action over here with my two, which means everybody else still has a chance if it got some guard, or I'll just go with my six. Why? Specifically to prevent everybody else from being able to do it, period. And oh man, that goes just and this just sounds like it takes that idea like to a whole nother level.
0: It does. Oh it, my re- gosh. it 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 kicks that up that quite is a too bit. Bad. And it, it, or no, it's, it's fine,
1: but Right. Too bad for me I, I hear
0: you. I I imagine this is probably if I were to be a betting man, probably not going to be in your wheelhouse, given I what I know. Your well, it's a shame. I think I like everything games. else
1: about it. And I like the core idea. I like that early investment. I like the looking around and oh, oh, you've got some sixes. You're really spending big. But yeah, after that, it's ugh. it's absolutely
0: I mean, Essen hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. but of the games I've played. I would probably put it in my top five games from this year mm, thus far. Okay. It is super high on my list. I am really smitten with this game. Well, it's Floydland, right? But, I
1: mean, they. Yeah. When have they failed? When have they put out a bad game? I mean, Terra Mystica, people still kind of like that one. It's, uh, right. they've got good taste. Oh, more than
0: kind of. Yeah but yeah and so i i this is not going to be for everybody and when we did our live stream of this we had a really interesting roundtable discussion that there were some of us that really like this game uh that fall on it for the same reasons that i enjoy Mm -hmm. it the whole playing the other Mm -hmm. players and anticipating what other players are going to do and then there were players that were like you know what this game can be pretty nasty if you want to it to that degree and so that turns some people off but i think being able to show that aspect of it is going to be really important because like you said for you you were super stoked for this but now maybe less so because of that aspect I, I, of the you, game
1: you've you killed it for me
0: i would say is, try it but but i do think that it's not going yeah. to be your cup of tea uh
1: coincidentally I I yeah there's a wink wink we're coming a little later there. Spoiler alert. All right. Well, cool. That was your number six, correct? Uh, yes. Crystal and Palace. that is uh, Crystal Palace. Yes. There you Alrighty. go. All righty. Well, then let's go on to my number six. And uh, I'm kind of retreading water. I'm doing another, quote, the card game. It is Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, the card game, which I think has got to be the longest title for anything we've talked about or we'll talk about today. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yes. All right. Um, but what is it? I, don't, I assume you know Lorenzo. Oh, oh boy, I I do know it well. I I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing.
0: Oh, I cannot stand that game. Wow, because, um, really? We'll, we'll talk about well, well here. Simply put, Lorenzo e Magnifico. Yes. Um, there, if a game has to do one of two things to be a good game, in my opinion, mm-hmm. it either has to do something completely innovative and new mm-hmm. and, and bring something new, or it has to bring. A group of known mechanisms for me uh, together in either a new and original way or do something and be the best at what it Mm -hmm. does and this game does neither of those things. We'll have to agree to
1: disagree on that
0: then. Okay, fair enough. I realize that this is a super popular game, Lorenzo. Because it does
1: your number one quite well. Lorenzo Il Magnifico, (laughs) for folks who don't know, is a worker placement game where uh, everybody has access. I think there are four workers. Uh, They're basically represented by colors and we, we each have our, our our black, our gold, our tan, our red worker. Um, at the beginning of every round, dice are rolled that thematically represent the strength of those workers. Uh, whether you're um, you know your governor or your priest or whoever is particularly strong or weak in this round, and based on your constantly shifting strengths and weaknesses of your workers, you then go about doing kind of worker replacement engine buildy type stuff of uh, recruiting cards to basically make engines that you can harvest lots of stuff etc etc I think that core gameplay is absolutely lovely Um, my problem with the Lorenzo had always been that as a two player game it is unusually cruel and harsh Uh, because often in worker placement games uh, one of the things you do is oh let's take away a lot of the worker placement spots as there are fewer players to make things tighter and they made the game so tight it's a noose around your neck and And uh, it was a problem for me and Jen, unfortunately, because I think it was a brilliant game. Contrary to my uh, special guest, uh, who's a little bit less special now. But that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Different strokes and all that. But anyway, I'm excited because I thought that core idea was really wonderful. I'm excited to see it in a card game form because I'm a fan as a former video game designer myself. I did that for almost 20 years. I love uh, seeing how a designer can take a big, bombastic uh, design with lots of stuff and strip it away and turn it, capture the feeling... of of its predecessor but turn it into something different using different mechanisms using different actual components I'm always keen on that because I think it's just a really interesting design decision
0: while also keeping the core to feel like the original game not
1: sacrificing when somebody pulls it off I mean it just puts a smile on my face to experience it especially if it's a game I love here's the thing that puts Lorenzo El Magnifico the card game over the top they are you know, they've stripped away a lot of stuff Uh, you, you still try to get the cards harvest them and all the rest of it but um, there is a new resource gathering mechanism here that's quite unlike anything that was in the previous game. Edward, are you familiar with Ulm? I am. What do you think of Ulm? Uh, I, you didn't
0: ask me if I would played it. You oh, asked okay. me if I was familiar right, with yes. it. Um, no, unfortunately, um, Ulm, for, when it came out at Essen, I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I was actually, it was pretty high on my list, and I was never able to secure Just a copy. It. So I have yet to play it, sadly. But it is... A game in which I am very eagerly yep. wanting to play. Om,
1: so there's uh hits your number one, and it had a core action selection mechanism where there's a three-by-three three grid of tiles. You have a tile. You slide it into this grid, thereby activating it, and the other two tiles in the row or column that you slid it into, and another tile slides out, you pick up for use later. It's one of the most clever, brilliant... Incredibly elegant and yet nice clockwork-thinky uh, mechanisms I've seen in years. One of the neatest action selection mechanisms of all time, quite frankly. They've taken that and they've brought it into Il Magnifico, the card game. The grid is now a... Uh, it's its all the resources you can get. And you've got this little 3x3 three three grid. And for whatever reason, they're marbles. Um a Three by four. Grid, it's, oh, three by yes, four. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're marbles. Yeah. I know. And it makes for a really interesting table. Process, exactly. It has it? this
1: nice little uh, tactile, um you know, potion explosion feel to it because I got the little grid of marbles. Oh, I would like to take that particular row because I want those three. I slide my marble in. The other one slides out. I get to. And so it. It. it almost feels kind of like pachinko or slot machine type stuff going on. <laughs> and I mean, this just came out of nowhere. I didn't expect this at all. But I loved it so much in Ulm. And here it's used in a, in a very, very different way. It's resource gathering rather than action selection. And so, considering how much I love the original, I'm very excited to try a streamlined version of Lorenzo that maybe addresses some of our issues with the original game. In fact, I know it does because there's no longer a way that you can freeze me out of running the engine that I've spent my entire game trying to develop. Uh, uh, which is basically what the problem with Lorenzo Magnifico as a two-player game was. I mean, you can and crush I aggr- your I, I to- dreams.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that was one of the things when we tried it two-player. I was like, really? Like, I can't do any of this stuff that I've been... Wow, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. Said no one.
1: Ever. <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad that that's gone, or so it seems. And I'm really excited about this thing they've added with, like I said, this little pachinko thing is little uh, marble explosion explosion thing so i'm super excited i maybe should have called it lorenzo magnifico the marble game i don't know uh, <laughs> but i'm super stoked for it it's my number six i i'll be honest um i'm probably
0: more apt to want to try this than i am the base game mm. again mm-hmm. uh because of that yeah. uh the fact that it it takes care of that one problem so i'll give
1: it a try all right
0: um, and I'm not and I'm always of the mind that we're all always evolving. Our tastes are always changing and everything. So maybe maybe we talked I've about wondered. that earlier in the
1: podcast. When you recognize games you might have enjoyed, yeah. Same for me.
0: Right. So I I am willing to try Lorenzo again. I'm willing to try it with the expansion. But I will say the card game marble version, whatever you want to call it, uh, definitely sounds more compelling to me than the the original does. So there's that. All right. All right. So my number five. You know how we talked about earlier? Mm hmm. Uh we're going to try and avoid, or you tried. I avoid, tried to avoid know, it. You
1: were under no obligation to avoid uh, the uh, stipulation I gave for myself in my top twenty. Right of, of reprints
0: or new editions exactly. or something like that that basically doesn't really change a whole lot mm-hmm. of a game and just reprints it. Yep, and you uh, agreed with that in
1: spirit, but in practice, for the most part, you're number five. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, uh, so there are two actually on my list. Mm-hmm. The earlier one was 1824, right. which is second Fair edition enough. of it, uh, of that. The, uh, I omitted bus. I omitted roads and boats you were strong. This one, however, probably because I already had those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's my list. It, yes, <laughs> it is. My number five, a game that has been a grail game for me for a number oh, of I years. I didn't know that. Okay. And that is Key Market, Mm -hmm. uh, designed by David Brain and published by R&D, which is Richard Breeze. This is uh, a Richard Breeze uh, key series game Mm. designed by Richard Brain. This has been uh, out of print for quite a while. It has it originally came out in 2010 and copies of it were 200 bucks roughly to be able to get. (sighs) I think that's roughly what
1: I got when I sold mine.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I. I. It's not, I like to think that I played a part Ooh. <laughs> in getting this thing. You know, that is interesting
1: because I was going to say Richard Brees for the longest time was on record saying, yeah, it's, it's not, I'm done with that moving forward, not looking right.
0: back. Uh, well, and I talked to Richard a couple of years ago when I was at essence. So allow me a little grace here to go off on a, <laughs> a, on a bit of a tangent, but I asked him and when I interviewed him, I asked him off the record, I was like will you ever bring back key market? Mm -hmm. I said, he said, honestly, the reason I not really keen on reprints of my older games, even though this wasn't technically his design, Mm -hmm. he still had a hand in it. I digress. He said, because those games, uh, they were good for their time, but the, the game space has evolved Mm. and maybe they're not as cutting edge or as evocative and, uh, you know, inspirational as they were back then. So, eh, I don't really want to and I said okay that's a fair point for all of uh, like if you want to go way back for key, the like key, key, key town Duels or key Dome. Yeah, 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 right oh no I'm talking the originals yeah. in the key series I get that because those have been re-implemented by other games. I said, however, there's one exception to that, and that's Key Market. I said, it still has a huge following. There are a lot of people out there that absolutely want a copy, myself Mm -hmm. uh, included in that. I said, I think this is one that I would suggest. And he said, well, we'll think about it. (laughs) So apparently, um, he had mentioned uh, somewhere online that if... Uh, on BG or he had mentioned somewhere, and I posted a thread saying, "Hey, I'm BGG." I said, "Hey, please, Richard, please." <laughs> and he said, "If this gets 500 likes, oh wow, or 300 or whatever the whatever it was, he says, then I will go ahead and see about bringing it to Kickstarter." Okay, and lo and behold, like that, it's there. Yeah. And so I would like to think that maybe I played a little bit, a small.
1: Did it small go on part. Pixar
0: though? I don't recall that. It did. Oh, it did. It, uh, okay. it did. Okay. I that. Um, it did back in March. Right. And um, uh, let's see. So I posted this two years ago. Um, <laughs> oh, you've got the evidence. <laughs> Uh, yeah. August, uh, 2017. It, it's just, it's really interesting. He had posted on BGG that said, okay, if it gets 500 thumbs or up comments, uh, kind of a five, uh, uh, a P 500, then he would do so. And I posted a link to it and people went and made it happen. And so now key market is out. There you go. And I am it's happened. really, really excited about it coming back. So now all that long story long, that uh oh the game itself is yeah the actual game
1: enough about edward I, euler um industry mover and shaker uh,
0: stop stop with that i get enough grief please stop don't you're <laughs> hey, not you healthy. brought it up you're health. not helping uh so okay so richard originally developed this uh designed by david brain full of disclosure i've only played the game twice mm. in my entire life and it was half a dozen years ago or so to where players uh have a family of workers and over the course of two years or a couple rounds, players organize their workers and in- turn their uh, resources into an economic system. So it's it's all about uh, getting your workers employed mm-hmm. in guild houses mm-hmm. and being able to gather resource very standard euro feel to it. However, the way that your tableau gets built up, is dictated by your workers out there and how you place them out on the main board. And there's no other game that I have encountered that does this quite like the way key market did it. Yeah. And for me, uh, it just really grabs me and it just, the it's unique. There's nothing else out there that I have found that plays quite like key market has played. And I'm really excited about it being I'm very happy so for a
1: lot go. of people you're right i mean it's uh it, it 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 is just as fresh uh today as it whenever it came out in 2010 9 I don't years think ago it's dated yeah. at all Really, right. really sharp, totally unique game. Um, I, I only got rid of it because, well, I felt bad because I was never going to get to play it very much because of my circumstances, and there were people out there who wanted it, and I wanted money. So, I mean, I, 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 I don't blame the Same, you. Yeah, same I reason mean, I got rid of my Puerto Rico Anniversary Edition too, as as heartbreaking as that was. Um, but sometimes, you know, got to have that money. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited it's back, and I guess we all owe a. Uh, Dead yeah, of gratitude, stop, stop. everybody, I'm wherever you are, I played watching a this small video part. All right. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, yeah, I know. So anyway, you, you my number five, the there were 500 uh, heroes. That's out
0: it. A hundred percent. That is the case. Uh, or, I just brought it to more people's attention. Yeah. I posted it on Twitter and said, hey, from a selfish standpoint, I want a copy of this game and I don't want to pay 200 bucks. Yeah. Um, can we make this happen? So there you go. Well, so collectively, we as a community yes. made this happen. And ironically, so well done, just to add everybody. to that.
1: I have met Richard in the past too, and I have mentioned to him, dude, what the f where is key market and he said you know, he said basically the same thing and until I tried, okay, and just went on my merry way you sir, see and went the I, extra i'm not
0: mile. i 'm a bulldog when it comes to that <laughs> stuff i'm like if you give me an out, if you give me a way to make to help make something happen i'm going to because I really want this, and I think it's a. I like you said, it's a fresh game that still feels fresh in 2019, mm-hmm. and so this should be available to more people, and I'm excited for it being the case, All right. not just number me. five. So my number five, key market. key market, there you go. All
1: right, my number five uh, was your number... Uh, I'm number eight, I believe. Yes. Uh, we correct. just skipped it over. Uh, is uh, part of the ongoing Tony, Tony Boydell Renaissance we are all living through. Uh Alibari, a nice cup of tea. And yeah, we've talked earlier uh, about Snowdonios coming ba- Snowdonia's back, There's Foothills, which is a Snowdonia style game, but all of those uh pale in comparison to the excitement of uh, you know, this is something that Tony's been working on for God, how long has this game Three been Three or four in years, going? years, at least. Yeah, yes. uh, you know he has just been plugging away at it. You know, pl- testing it. Uh, you know, high. You know, honing it to a perfect diamond. And that's saying something because this is based on the Snowdonia worker placement system. And as I said earlier in the podcast, Snowdonia is Snowdonia is one of the best worker placing games in history, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, easily eclipses so many other games that are coming out today. I love it, love it, love it. And so this takes Snowdonia from from the snow-capped mountains of Wales uh, down into uh, colonial-era India, if I recall correctly, uh, is yep. that correct? Um, it and, is. You know, uh, uh, looking after a lot of the same issues of uh, being able to build up tracks and rail and all the rest of it, and. I, uh, since it was your number eight, I'm going to defer to you because at this point, I think you know a little bit more about it than me. All I know is uh, Tony Boydell has long ago earned the By Sight Unseen, and when he's revisiting what some people, myself uh, myself included, consider his greatest work ever, well, yeah, I got to check that out.
0: Well, I originally played this two years ago at all right, and it was super close to being finished at that point. And so Tony was under the impression it was going to be released at Essen last oh, okay. year and that caught him off guard, uh, unfortunately. Um, but as it is this game and he agrees with this statement, so I'm not, right. um, I'm not, uh, sliding Snowdonia in any way, shape or form. Don't you dare. But this is Snowdonia 2.0. Okay. It, it absolutely takes everything that you're going to enjoy in Snowdonia and just makes it better yeah. it just improves and it shows a growth of his design it just it streamlines the game and it introduces new mechanisms in it now i have only played it the once mm-hmm. 2 years mm-hmm. ago uh at the uh at con but it if you're familiar with Snowdonia, this game is going to feel a lot like Snowdonia in a sense that you're going to be clearing rubble, you're going to be building stations, you're going to be doing all of those things. But it also adds on uh, the tea industry yeah. because Alibari and Nice Cup of Tea, which I'm partial as a tea drinker, <laughs> I'm a big fan of this. Uh, full disclosure, he did make a promo also oh. for, the, for us right. for this, which is pretty cool. Um, but to be honest with you, it's Snowdonia improved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, I honestly that that's the best way to 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 frame this because it's set on uh, the Himalayan railway, so it kind of Tibet area mm-hmm. time or area geography wise. But other than that, um, you can use your tea to turn it into chai, which is a little bit more flexibility um, and. It, anything I say is going to be Snowdonia Two yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and that's exactly what this is. I I was not as keen okay. on Snowdonia the Deluxe Edition. Oh, the deluxe, um, okay. with that coming out. Oh, I because see. Because I knew this ah, was yes, coming. Yes, yes. Yep. Now I'm not trying to shortchange. They are different games, okay. but this feels like I'm trying to think uh, of. Gaia Project Terra Mystica.
1: Ah, okay. That's a very good.
0: Okay. That's parallel. probably the most apt parallel that I can come All up right. with to where they very much are their own games, but Gaia Project, you can clearly share see, is built upon Terra Mystica. Yeah. And that's exactly how this is. So there you All go. All right.
1: Well, that's good enough. For As me. I remember it. All that said, okay? I will uh, then hasten to add one asterisk at the end of it. I gotta say having looked at pictures of it what is up with the board it is not the most from the pictures I've seen online it doesn't look quite as attractive as I would have hoped
0: it it's changed quite a bit mm-hmm. from when I last saw it when I saw it uh was the picture from Liriacon 2018 it looked I would argue better yeah back then mm-hmm. um I I I don't know why the 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 it looks it looks a little romper to me
1: it looks almost yeah, like little you, and ladders, yeah
0: quite frankly it does and i don't think that's going to help yeah. uh the aesthetic i, mean, I won't cast and, aspersions because maybe
1: it i mean maybe it's just something that doesn't translate well in pictures and you really have to have it in front of you and it just kind of catches you up or maybe it's somehow thematically appropriate I, 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 but i was really surprised when i finally saw pictures of it but still it does not dampen my enthusiasm which is why it's still my number five and you're number eight
0: Right, absolutely. And I, I, having played this, at least in a prototype form, I was legitimately excited to pick this yep. up at Essen last year. So that slid. So here we this are time Essen for this sure. year. All
1: right. Well, then. Alibari. Alabari. Nice cup of tea. A nice cup of tea. And now, your number four, sir. Which is a game
0: that, uh, if you listened to the podcast earlier, uh, you heard me mention how this game. I was excited to play more of it, which is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, we, you and I, and given what we do with the shows, we don't get a whole lot of chance true. to play games for fun. Mm-hmm. That is BIOS Origins, second edition, although it's completely revamped the initial. So it's a different game uh, designed by Phil Eklund and Yoon Munker and published by Sierra Madre Games, as well as call it Ion Game Design. So this is a Phil Eklund game. Okay. Let's preface there. So you know what you're getting into there. It is big. It is terrifying. It's scary. Yet, it's not. It's a civilization game and a bit of a tableau building game. I love Civ games. I love tableau building games, and I'm pretty keen on some of Phil Eklund's games. This, however, as a Civ game, hits so many so many things that i enjoy mm-hmm. and it looks terrifyingly complex mm-hmm. and it's actually far simpler than it actually is there can be a fair bit of take that let me hold on Out. let me caveat this let me caveat this mm-hmm. it is not take that for take that sake mm-hmm. You have to understand that, and it plays solo up to four players, okay? Mm -hmm. So a two-player game is not all about tearing down what you build. Mm -hmm. There might be reasons why I'm trying to do that to help myself, but it's not a huge detriment to you. Mm -hmm. Because if you're building up cities, but you're not really planning on scoring your cities for your final scoring, you don't care. Go for it. It's done its job for me. I've been able to build my cities, advance my techs. So, no big deal. If you need to tear them down, no big deal. Those turn into meeples. They turn into uh, 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 migrants out on the board, which then become more workers for you out on the board. So, it's not a complete tearing down of what you built. So, it's not nearly as nasty as you might expect warfare or any of those things to be. Is there some? Yes. Does there have to be? Arguably, you could go play in your sandbox. I could go play in my sandbox in a two-player, and whoever does it better wins. That absolutely is an option mm. in that game. So it is, dare I say, probably the most approachable Phil Eklund game that I've well, ever that's played.
1: that's not saying much, because uh, my experience with Phil Eklund is I started with um, High Frontier. I'm still recovering. And then I went from that to Neanderthal, which uh, was a bit more approachable, but still did my head in. And it's not the game so much. My biggest problem with Phil's games is he needs to get somebody else to write his rule books. I agree with that, he is an that's engineer exactly why. Writing engineering manuals and not and he needs a game designer to write him game manuals. I'm not going to argue with yep. any
0: of that, but that's also why we did a playthrough and a full teach mm. of BIOS Origins mm. and why we made that available to everybody so that it shows that this is a lot more approachable. It is definitely one of the best games that I've played this year, um, and it's a game that even though I've played it a bunch, I still it's still this high on my list. I cannot wait to play it more. Um, it is one of the two or three best if not the best civilization game i've played okay and i'm excited to play it more i realize that it's probably not going to be high on yours or your viewers uh list but yeah bios origins is well fantastic. maybe
1: you can convert a few folks but uh <laughs> after that heavyweight let's uh take it down a notch to my number four which is uh steamopolis and I have to say, I'm not going to have much to say about this game. There's very little information about it. It is a worker placement game, um, and it is an engine-building game, and it is a steampunk game, as evidenced by the title. Uh, here's why it's on my list. It is from, uh, you're double-check-in, Gerhard Hecht, the designer, who yep. is the designer behind the absolutely bonkers amazing Kashgar... Merchants of the Silk Road, uh, which is one of, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best engine-building games of all time. It's an absolutely brilliant design, where effectively it's a deck-building game where you're building three separate independent decks that try to work uh, and synchronize uh, to be able to feed each other. Um, And while he's done a couple other little games, this is his first big production since then, and uh, uh, follow on the Kashgar. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who it's from. I must has it, precious. And so, <laughs> uh, Steamopolis is on my list. Although. Uh, it does give me the opportunity to mention a couple of other games. I almost didn't put it on the list because, as I understand it, it is only available at spiel auf Deutsch in the German-language version. And that is kind of heartbreaking. Maybe it's going to be language-independent, maybe it's not. But, you know, there were a few other games I could have put on this list as well. Uh, specifically, Marco Polo 2 um, and, uh, what's it, uh, The Liberation of Rietberg, which is also from Gerhard Hecht, and is set in the Legends of Andor fantasy universe. And I would like to check all these out, but they are only german version so i ultimately kept them off but i couldn't do that for steamopolis i must have it even if that means i've got to find somebody to translate the german rule book for me um, i have
0: a good feeling that this will get picked up by somebody and translated it and brought over to the U.S. i would hope point. so i have no doubt
1: but it took years oh for i know Kashgar, i because and that Kashgar was what what the I only version for.
0: The only game, the only version I played was the German version of Kashgar with paystops. Yep. Yeah. That's, um, and that's and how I thought I it was it fantastic. Yep. So I agree with you. I think it's a phenomenal game. So yeah, I, I I would. And honestly, that's the only reason I didn't have it on my list is because it was German only. And I was like, well, all right, I'll wait until the U.S. version comes out or the English version comes out. Yeah. So there you go.
1: So, yeah, I, I'd love to say more, but, um, you know, th- there's some pictures. It looks Euroy. Apparently, there's Zeppelins because it's steampunky. Uh, but I, I, honestly, I don't know. I don't care. Gerhard Hecks. Uh, you know, it's one of the best games to have come out in the last five years, as far as I'm concerned. Kashgar is so brilliant. So let's see his sophomore effort with Steamopolis. Which there we go. My
0: so my number. Th- yeah. So my number three go, now. Moving on to uh, a game that I've never heard of the designer and I've never heard of the publisher, okay. which usually leads me to be apprehensive. However, um, it has a number of comments on BGG and it's super highly ra- uh, thought of. Okay. And that is Era of Tribes. Mm. Uh, it is, uh, it says it plays 60 to 180 minutes, three and a half on the weight scale, uh, one to four player uh, worker, civ- civilization worker placement game that honestly, the board itself looks super compelling. So I was, I can be such a huge, ooh, shiny <laughs> uh, guy. For a guy who doesn't like or doesn't care, I enjoy win some games. So I don't care uh, art, art necessarily. It's only going to help usually. I don't necessarily get drawn in by pretty art. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, mechanisms uh, more so than anything. But, if you were to go onto BGG and you look at the first picture that isn't the front of the box, it has this really compelling looking board on it, and then there's this hex thing <laughs> on the left hand side that I'm like, what is that That looks amazing. I am super I'm looking at it super now. interested in this uh, to where I mean, Ultimately, it's a victory point generating worker placement euro that has a civilization theme. Yep.
1: Good enough. Yep. Especially that since point. it's in your favorite theme, I think we've established in this podcast, <laughs> medieval Europe. For uh, folks joining late, uh, he spent a good portion of the first half of the podcast saying, you know, I'm normally not a fan of this, but I think this is his 15th out of 20 uh, medieval games.
0: I, you know, I can't argue with that, um, but, and that's it. And for honestly, I mentioned earlier that Essen to me is Christmas. This is the sure. most exciting convention of the year. It's the most exciting thing, the, the event, I think, because this is what the majority of the games in which we're going to feature on the show that it, it excite me come out. So I, I, intentionally do not dig super deep into a lot of these games because of the fact that i want to be surprised and i saw enough from era tribes on this to where i was like oh my that
1: volcano thing is intriguing
0: i i am i am in and it looks amazing kind of like you with steamopolis i was like this
1: was our i um, must have the shiny yeah Grabbing stuff in so the dark there you go. section. Area of Tribes. All right, number three. Uh, my number my three. My number three, I know very well. It is probably the game I have played most over the last couple of years by a long shot. Uh, Tapestry. I think uh, people may have heard of this in passing. I think so, probably. Yep, and uh, while people are saying, hey, wait a minute, I thought you were going to skip stuff that was from your Gen Con preview. Tapestry was not in my Gen Con preview because it has come out in between now and then. And otherwise, I'm sticking to the, hey, if it's on the list, I'm going to do it. And, Fair uh, enough. Yep. And it, it is a phenomenal game. I absolutely love it. It currently sits and my number 24 highest ranked game of all time. And that's out wow. of, you know, hundreds of games that I've ranked. So it's certainly in my top the uh, highest percentile. And uh, yeah, I still love it. I would love to be playing it right now instead of talking to this guy. Um, I know, uh, it, n- you know now that it's gotten into more and more hands, I think the overwhelming majority response is, yes, it's fantastic. We see why everybody was excited. But there is a very vocal contingent of, this game is crap because it's too random and too unbalanced. Um, I'm curious. I'm sure you played it. Edward, where do you fall? No, do not make that assumption.
0: I have not played Tapestry at all. Now, I've heard, Mm -hmm. and I've heard, uh, let's face it, Stonemaier Games does a marvelous job of marketing their games and producing their games, and uh, with that comes a huge amount of hype, Yes, which whenever you get a huge amount of hype, inevitably there is a sizable pushback from that. Um, I think that I do a pretty good job of staying... I mean I'm aware of all of that but trying to make my own decision on a game. So I've heard a lot of positives, I've heard some negatives. Um what I've heard And I'm going to guess that this is probably where I would fall on this, that if you like Stonemeyer Games, (laughs) Tapestry is going to be a game that you are absolutely going to enjoy. If you don't like uh, the types of games that Stonemeyer Games puts out, this is probably not going to change your mind. Um,
1: I would say that's probably a safe summary.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, That said, do I want to play it? Yes, because I want to hear and I want to experience and make my own decision on this game. Uh, But that said, no.
1: Here's what I would tell people going into it, like yourself, who haven't uh, approached it yet. Um, You know, putting all the mechanisms aside. I mean, it is it it's hard. It's one. It doesn't necessarily do your number one thing. It doesn't innovate really in much of any way. It's a pretty straightforward, you know, meat and potatoes, Euro Themed as a civilization game. I think it does everything it does brilliantly and it um, does such a wonderful job of escalation. but if there's one thing I regret not having mentioned in my video, having played it now uh, 12 times, uh, give or take I might I might be off on that several times solo. Um, there is one cont- relatively consistent element in all of Jamie stegmeier's designs. Uh, you know going all the way back to viticulture and euphoria is he loves dramatic cards. Cards that make say, Ooh. oh my, have you seen this card? And then that's and later, a good
0: way to put that. Yeah.
1: And then 10 minutes later, somebody's, like, oh yeah, but have you seen this card? Um, and uh, and tapestry definitely features that. For a lot of people, that's just okay. Well, um, the fact that somebody in the late game could draw one of those Jeepers, Creepers, look at this thing. This just fell into my lap. This changes everything in a good way. And uh, next player to go could draw a card and said, Yeah, this would have been great five rounds ago. Uh, Right now, it's not going to do much good. This has been a consistent thing. I remember actually being really kind of disappointed um, with Viticulture. Viticulture's uh, day-night cards, or the season cards, whatever they were, they were crazy, insanely swingy, that they could fall into your lap at the right time or the worst time. So much so that I think he ultimately addressed that in a later reprinting. Um, I'm not saying Tapestry is anywhere close to how extreme Uh, Viticulture was in that regard, but it does have it, and I think it's obvious at this point that the reason it keeps making this game is because Jamie likes big dramatic moments, and these are easy ways to ensure "Whoa, where did this come from?" moments. And I do think, on the whole, it is a net positive for Tapestry to have this, but I totally understand why for some people uh, that is a reason to check out immediately because they don't want—I mean, to to see those sorts of things. Their way in, uh, but still, I've, it's my number twenty-four. Having played it, like I said, a dozen times, which is something I very rarely get to do these days. It's just gotten better and better um, with every play, and I'd like to keep on exploring it because it—it it seems like it has bottomless depths. With what is it, the sixteen different unique civilizations that are all radically different, so many super powerful tapestry cards, and really very interesting, viable paths uh, that you know blossom every time you play. Plus, really great production tapestry my n- number
0: three fair enough uh, And you're the last yeah, man
1: um, in the board gaming industry to play it i know I, <laughs> my bad
0: yep okay. all right so my number two yes um, sir uh partially for theme but partially for redemption reasons i'm hoping th- this is a big hope for me yeah. uh so my my number two is formosa t uh, it's designed by Chunlan Kao, I think is how you say okay. his name, and published by Soso Studio. Now, Chunlan Kao had a game that I was really looking forward to a couple years ago called Medical Frontier that mm. missed the mark, let's say.
1: Yes, and, I would agree with that.
0: And I am hoping that while this won't be the most... Uh, the Heaviest of Games, it's a worker placement game which I'm very very partial to worker placement, dice drafting, all of those type mechanisms, specifically those two if you will. Uh I'm hoping that this is a stronger uh <laughs> Yeah. game the medical <laughs> frontier was uh, the the theme on it uh, why it, it, the artwork I think is beautiful in this and I think the theme I'm a big tea drinker I, I I'm big on tea and I I have high hopes for Formosa tea it's it doesn't there's not a ton of information out there for it other than uh, the fact that what it is that you know it's a four round game it mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of a lunch uh, analog lunchbox game. Which, if you're not familiar with those, uh, they have done a couple of obscure, smaller games that I have high hopes for that seem to disappoint me every year. (laughs) Huh. And I keep hoping. And so this is kind of like that. So it's yeah. just This a, is it, your it,
1: biggest Hail Mary by far. It
0: yeah, like it that. is. It really is. And and it it looks cute. It looks nice. It looks enjoyable. I like the aesthetic of it. And it's but about why tea. So and it's a replacement.
1: Is it just the tea? Um, I mean, are you that much of a tea freak? No, it's not that.
0: It's it's more so so studio okay. um, that okay. I have more hopes for than right. the designer You're himself. For him. Yeah, kind of. Um, like there are, there are other, in fact, in, in, when we're done with this list, I'm actually going to very quickly mention a few other games here. And it reminds me of something, and I'll mention one of them now called Orchard Ocean uh, mm. that is, oh boy, how do you, um, it's, <laughs> it's an analog lunchbox game that okay. I'm, I have, it's hope that things get better. Um, so why so high? Because I'm a gambling man.
1: Yeah, that's true. Core. Yes. We started and this podcast I think, with an update on your uh, current less than stellar results. Right. From uh,
0: poker. And I yep. used to play poker for a living. And
1: uh, long story
0: long, <laughs> uh, they did Strange Vending Machine uh, last okay. year, which is a it has some really cool mini uh, mini games. It's a collection yeah. of mini games that uh, weren't super great, but they were innovative and they were something different. And so they also originally did, and I haven't played this game, but it's coming out with a second edition
1: called Gado Chang. Thank you. That, yes. That again, I've heard about this game for years, actually.
0: And so Formosa T is coming out from them. And so I'm like, you know what? Let's give this a shot. And I want to highlight this and hope yeah. maybe I fall on my face. It happens. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It It appeals to me. There's a lot going for it. And a lot that it might fall flat, but we'll see. Formosa
1: team, my number two, sir. Well, you are very brave, sir, and I applaud you. I am going to be a coward and uh, put a, I'm pretty confident, a pretty sure thing in my number two, which is uh, Expedition to Newdale. Now, at this point, uh, Alexander Fisher, the designer, he is faster approaching, like, my number two spot, right behind... Um, Stefan Feld, who is my favorite designer of all time, long longtime fans of my show know, and now fans of your podcast know. And uh, yeah, Alexander Pfister, he just came out of nowhere just a few years ago, and he has just torn it up. Everything mm-hmm. he has done has uh, been, at the very least, even at his worst, has definitely been worthy of play and evaluation. I mean, he has not put out a clunker uh, as near as I can tell. Even ones that don't resonate for me, like uh, what was it, the broom service, right? Uh, uh, or yeah.
0: for me, blackout Hong Kong, which was <sighs> well, see, so, yeah, blackout Hong
1: out. Kong. Interestingly, was a, a, a black eye form last year because it, um, you know, it kind of. Interrupted his, 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 uh, you know, his pretty much unbroken trap, you know, with, uh, what's it, uh, Great Western Great Trail Western and Trail. Yep. Uh, Mombasa and uh, yeah and, and 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 lots of really cool powerful little games Port Royal and oh my goods and whatnot. Uh, for the record, I thought uh, Blackout Hong Kong got really the short end of the stick for no good reason. I thought it was a fantastic game. In fact, it's my number one game of last year, uh, and I, we could on another day talk about what your issues were. Um, but he's back, baby. Um, and the interesting thing about this is, there has been a a uh, a thread through a lot of his work, where while he is making either light or medium to heavy euros uh, that are all about you know economic simulations of resource manipulations to score points in various and sundry ways in different settings, one thing he keeps coming back to is narrative. You know, actually having, um, you know, some kind of story structure that drives the game. And, um, you know, you've seen it just like little baby experiments in the expansions he's done for Port Royal or Oh My Goods where, hey, yeah, you can just, You you can get the expansion for these little games. Just put all the cards in and play. Or you can play through a very simple little five-chapter story I've written for you that introduces the characters and introduces the gameplay mechanisms. He didn't have to do it, but I have repeatedly found that what would have been a perfectly fine experience gets elevated because human beings like stories it's so woven into us. I mean, you go all the way back to, um, you know, cave uh, men, you know, telling stories up on cave walls. It is so important that anything, I would argue, in life is improved by a story. You go to a restaurant, you can have a delicious meal. But if on the inside of the menu, there's a little paragraph talking about how Mama came from the old country and she brought all of her recipes with her and her family know, and, and you tell a story, that just accentuates the meal. And I love, that, you know, Alexander Fisher has been pushing this narrative drive in very small ways. The ways that I've seen to start appear in other Euro-style games as well. Because Euros are traditionally the farthest thing away from trying to wend theme and narrative and drama into what is, at its heart, a dry um, abacus, uh, for lack of a better term. So hey,
0: leave my abacus alone. N- all n- right? n-
1: nothing wrong with abacuses. Although, man, they are the weirdest freaking things ever. I remember learning them when I was a little kid. Um, But anyway, I mention all this because expansion to Newdale is basically a big box. You know, we were talking earlier about taking uh, Brussels 1893 and doing the card game, right? Right. This is going the opposite direction. Taking Oh My Goods, which is a simple little engine building card game, and blowing it up into a big box experience. Giving it a board, giving it a world, giving it, um, you know, claiming land, while still, at its heart, being that simple little engine building card game. Um, And... I'm intrigued by that. You know, we talked about this earlier. I love to see the idea of going in the opposite direction, taking something small, building it up. That's not something you see hardly ever. Oh,
0: I I think there were two... Instances of this uh, yes. this year that I have seen, and I'm intrigued to see how that works, because normally you can always pare down. You yes. can always trim the tree, but to grow the tree, it is from that one yeah. mechanism. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's audacious. And I'll be honest, I'm willing to give Alexander the uh, benefit of the doubt because of his track record. I'm legitimately curious to see how this turns out, taking all oh my goods and blowing it up into a full scale game.
1: Yep. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I, I can't wait to see how he skins that cat. For the same reasons I love seeing a big game, you know, stripped down into a small, because as a designer, as a former designer, I just like seeing how does this process come. So I can't wait to see that. But the thing that intrigues me about this even more, because I should say, I don't know much about it. I haven't done much research. I didn't need it to. I knew it was going to be um, in, in the upper echelon. Here's the thing the description for BoardGameGeek uh, starts with, set five years after the events of Oh My Goods. That right there... So speaks to me that he cares about a contiguous narrative that he is telling. There are going to be characters that were introduced in this silly little throwaway expansion for a simple little engine builder that are now going to get blown up into a proper narrative driven game. And it feels to me like this is something that he has been building up to. That, um, you know, he's been experimenting and toying. Another designer I can think of that really m- experiments with different ways to meld story and narrative into Euros is is uh, Ryan Lockett, and I yep. absolutely love every time Ryan, um, you know, hey, okay, well, am I a game designer, or am I I'm a narrative writer? I don't know. You figure it out. I, I love that he keeps pushing those boundaries, and I cannot wait to see what Alexander Fisher does after taking all these little baby steps. Is this going to be a big, blossoming explosion where he truly writes his, uh, his Citizen Kane his um, Magnum Opus. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. His, uh, you know, his... Uh, I'm trying to think of famous works of literature. All I can think of is sometimes a great notion and other works by Ken Kesey um, or Catch-22. His uh, crime and, um, and punishment, you know, his... Uh, war and Peace. There thank you. you thank right. you. His War and Peace. Yes. I, is that going to be what this is? I'm excited to find out, which is why it's at my number two, The Expedition to Newdale.
0: I'm I'm looking forward to it, uh, but I'm apprehensive because, like I said, going big to small seems a whole mm-hmm. lot easier That's than small to point. big. But I'm I'm intrigued by it, and I'm definitely going to be picking up a copy to check it out. All right, all right. So my number one, number one is well, this isn't going to be for a lot of your audience, I realize,
1: but I, for mine, I convince me. I want to want this game. I want to want it so badly. Spoiler alert! I already know what it is. So uh, do your do your do your best, sir.
0: I don't know because I haven't played it yet, so I don't know if I can. <laughs> um, Entice but me. My, my number one is yet another game from not Phil Ecklin,
1: not Mr. Ecklin Senior, Eklund Junior, Eklund Mister Matt Ecklin.
0: So uh, from Ion Game Design and Sierra Madre Games, from designer Matt Ecklin. PAX Transhumanity. Yes. Now, I kind of I kind of struggled making this list. I was like, really? Am I going to put two of their games up this high? And I was Clearly. like, you know what? If I'm going to be honest with myself, um, BIOS Origins has been one of my most enjoyable games that I have played thus far. And PAX Transhumanity is one of my most anticipated games ever since getting a kind of an overview from Matt Eklund at Origins that mm-hmm. if I'm going to be honest with myself, And I tried to be then yes. So PAX Transhumanity is in the PAX series. So if you're familiar with PAX Porphyriana, PAX Renaissance, uh, PAX Premier, uh, I would highly recommend checking out PAX Premier 2nd Edition. Before you even consider going to this game, I would highly recommend checking out PAX Premier 2nd Edition. Even if the theme doesn't grab you, the mechanisms in that game are introduced in such a way that that is going to be the ideal jumping off point for all the PAX series in general. People might be asking, what's the PAX series? So the PAX series is a series of games, uh, historical games, with a whole lot of flavor and historical context. Uh, PAX premier being set in the great game, or uh, Afghanistan, with the eternal struggle between the British uh, kingdom, Russia, and Afghanistan set in the, I want to say, 18th and 19th century. Um, which I realize uh, probably just lost the whole bunch of viewers (laughs) and listeners I get. However, it's all about having a market of cards in which you're going to either purchase or to acquire for one reason or another and a constantly churning market and evolving market. PAX Transhumanity is set in the future and it is the first of the PAX games that is set in the future. Um, um, the best way that I can do it, honestly, I don't want to get into a big, uh, butchering of bios origins like I did there. So the best way I know how to do
1: this, we're still is, recovering from that one. Yes, I know. I know
0: is Matt Eklund is nothing like his father in exactly. a sense that he is a attorney, uh, in, in the Southwest. And he is very articulate. As opposed to
1: Phil Eklund, who is. A Legitimate rocket scientist, right? Yeah, he like? worked either at JPL
0: or for NASA, yeah. uh, retired and now lives uh, overseas. Um, Phil is in- incredibly intelligent and incredibly smart, however, his the way he presents games is going to be a lot different than the way Matt Eklund does. <laughs> and mm. Matt Eklund, um, he had a huge hand in designing a handful of the packs, uh, uncredited, uh. Mm. So a lot of the mechanisms that are in the pack series came from Matt Eklund, uh, even though he's uncredited. Anyway, Pax Transhumanity, enough about that. What if Hollywood and the doomsters are wrong and the future is non dystopian? No pandemic, no zombies, or post apocalyptic rubble. A more likely future is one in which free market fortuneers explore the fringes of the achievable, in which scientists and technocrats rewrite the human condition by expanding into new spheres, the developing world, the cloud. And space, the cloud being the computer and computing cloud. In doing so, demolishing the barriers of age, disease, suffering, and physical confinement to this planet. As control of our surroundings expands, technology will become more of an intimate part of who we are, or acquire a mind of its own incorporated into our transhuman state. Mm-hmm. So, that didn't really say anything about what the game's about. So it's a pack series in which you are going to much kind of like what I described in Bios Origins, you're going to have currency or workers in which there's going to be three different uh, states in which your currency can uh, evolve or can exist. The higher up it is on your tableau, the higher, the more valuable that currency
1: is. So the same thing as Uh, the brain thing you were talking about.
0: Kind of exactly it with bios origins, except this is going to be a currency in which you're going to go out into the market of cards and you're not going to be acquiring these cards. Instead, you're going to be uh, trying to uh, unlock and discover various technologies, which for the greater good of man and, and, and humankind, you're trying to evolve the world into a more, The anti-dystopian make it a better place for everybody to live and Whoever does that better by being able to unlock these things and to maximize and to discover and uh, patent these things. Obviously, uh, some players are going to want to do so for their own good, for maximizing profits. Whoever does that better is going to win the game. And. It is not going to be the easiest jumping off point for the pack series, but I think it is going to have the most appealing theme to people yes. because it's a positive theme as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, like a lot of these games, this dystopian mm-hmm. future. And it, it, there are not a lot of games out there that put a very positive spin on the future of humanity. And yes. this game does that. And it does so in a very intelligent yet, uh, Evocative Thoughtful
1: way. And well researched way. Yes. Because if there's anything that the Eklunds are known for, it is scientific verisimilitude in their games.
0: And this is does not take a political stance one way or the other, saying right, wrong, or otherwise, that maybe Phil has taken on some of his other uh mm-hmm. games in the in the past, this being a Matt Eklund game. Yes. Um this definitely has a different feel to it. It's going to feel like a PAX game, but from his description and my going through the rules and setting the game up, even though I haven't played it yet. um, Yeah, this seems like a very fresh take on the PAX series. And it sounds like a real positive spin on things. And I'm just super, super excited to get this to the table.
1: Well, I should say that is why I'm so intrigued by this too. Uh, You know, that kind of... We, it, the future doesn't have to be dim or dark. I mean, you know, technocratic solutions to problems are, uh, you know, in our future as a species and a game that embraces that and represents what we, as a people, will ultimately embrace. I mean, hey don't want to get too political, but I'm an Andrew Yang supporter. It's an early version of that, trying to push these particular agendas forward. And so an entire game devoted to that, which I know is not just a flight of fancy, but based on previous Eklund games means it's super well researched. Um, you know, it's, uh, enriching in it of itself. I mean, when I did Neanderthal, and it didn't work out for us because it was way too mean and the co-op was terrible and, oh my god, the rules were just the worst, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in spite of all that, I was so happy to have experienced because it was so expansive and eye-opening. Um, you know. And, and seeing these ideas translated into gameplay mechanisms that were a good, solid, well-designed game, just not one for us, was super intriguing. So when I heard about this, uh, because it's totally in my wheelhouse, I was so intrigued by it. So, I'm glad to hear you say, you have now set the game up and read the rules. Yes. How Eklundy are those rules? Are you on on a one to ten Eklund scale, where um you know, the original first edition High Frontier is a ten. Um, you know, what, what what where are you gonna put that? That's that's my barrier to entry. Much
0: I would say lower than higher. Okay. Okay. With the caveat that if you read through the, bi- to, okay, having come from BIOS Origins, yes. right? Because so I, having
1: a framework to work with.
0: There yeah. you go. So this new kind of layout for the rules, this game follows much like BIOS Origins. So having okay. been fresh off of BIOS Origins, all of this seemed very familiar to me and seemed a lot more approachable than it would have, the, like PAX Emancipation terrified me the rule book in Mm -hmm. that and Mm -hmm. being able to get through some of this and uh, packs some of those in, in in the past have been difficult to parse, I think is a good way to put it. However, bios origins. I was able to learn from the rule book with minimal questions Mm -hmm. to fill in you, which I think is a credit. Is it still intimidating? Is it, is it still written in less than perfect, if you're coming from a Euro background, yes, that is the case. However, I think it's completely approachable. And I think it's completely reasonable to be able to learn straight from the rule book. Yeah. On the plus side, like I said, we have our teaching playthrough of BIOS Origins already out there. I'm going to be doing the same for Pax Transhumanity after Essen. I think that's going to help lower the barrier to entry considerably. Sure, sure. Um, but overall, even if you were to sit down uh, to, read the rule book, I think it's completely reasonable. So I would put it at a four
1: on that scale. That is interesting to me. Sorry, we're going off into the weeds. Now we're just doing um, the uh, heavy cardboard rules appreciation show. Um, It's interesting. One of the biggest problems I have with, what I consider to be poorly written rules is front-loading too much information. Is, you know, devoting the first half of your rulebook saying, here's what every single facet of this game is. Oh, and now you're halfway through? Let me tell you how to set up the game. You know, that kind of front-loaded approach that is this very... This doesn't take
0: that... This and BIOS Origins, neither of those take that approach. They show a lot of variants. I would argue the first eight or nine pages of the rule book Mm -hmm. is uh, offering up what the different variants are. Talking about BIOS Origins. uh, And then the setup. And then the actual core game is actually really simple. Um, It's when you add in the advanced rules is when it gets heavy. Hmm. And it's... They're really they've done a better job writing
1: their. Rules, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can only these. assume they're getting better. I can't be the only one who has complained to him oh, in person, I, and about and these myself issues, included
0: yeah. in this. Yeah. And we're going to be doing a live stream of High Frontier Fourth Edition on Sunday, the day before we leave for Essen.
1: <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that said, that actually is going to be uh, a lot more approachable than it was back in the day. So things are evolving, things are getting better, um, but. I don't want that to be a impediment to people trying out these really deep immersive eye-opening games and I yep. think Pax Transformers has the potential to be the best of the packs. Do I know? No, but does yeah. it have the potential? I hope. So. One we'll would see. hope
1: so. One would hope it builds upon the strengths of what came before.
0: There you go. <laughs> and, so that yeah, is and, and
1: I so want to experience that game. I I you know I I I look back with equal parts elation and shuddering at trying to wrestle his previous, the two times I've tried once bitten twice shy. And I don't know what the third time is, but that's where I am right now, but I'm still so intrigued. And when I saw it was your number one, well, I'm I'm glad to hear about it. And I'll look forward to seeing your video.
0: All right. Fair enough. And go from there. Hopefully. And again, the whole point of doing these videos is to help lower that barrier to entry so that people see, oh, oh, it might be written in a completely weird way, but oh, it's actually really approachable. That's my goal. So right. anyway, my number one, Pax transhumanity. So there right. you go. Your number one is sir,
1: your number, number, nine. number nine. Number nine would be uh, Maracaibo. Again, Mr. Alexander Pfister, uh, you know, pushes it with his way to the front of the pack. And I'm glad it's on your list. And it's your number nine, because I'm going to assume you did a little bit more research than me. And you could actually tell us what this game is about, because I don't know. And I don't care. It's a sight uh, unseen for me at this point. Uh, it's a Euro. It's from Alexander Pfister. It comes in a ticket to ride size box. And uh, there will be pieces of wood and pieces of cardboard. And, and it has a narrative. And it does. Oh, really? I did yeah, not know that. Which
0: I, I found this really interesting. When I, when I saw your list that the top two were narrative driven games uh, by Alexander Pfister, I was like, I wonder if he did that on purpose. <laughs> um, so the reason this one isn't higher
1: On my list is although still make your top ten so that's not nothing
0: it did it did right absolutely but the reason it wasn't even higher so I know Clay at Capstone Games very well he and I are Mm -hmm. very good friends and uh, obviously I've spoken about Crystal Palace we've talked about Cooper Island and Maracaibo unfortunately uh, production on Maracaibo wasn't going to be ready until probably next week yeah so it's not going to be done till right before Essen. Uh, so I haven't been able to see it. Uh, what you know is pretty much what I know about the game, except it has a narrative to it. And in my experience, narrative driven games like this, or that have a narrative in them that isn't more, that is more than just a theme. It is actually a story evolving. in. The, are you suggesting the it
1: actually comes with a storybook? Like, like I'm not uh, going to say Ryan a Lockett story.
0: Game? No, 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 not quite to that. Okay. Level. Not that far. All right. Um, here, uh, quest mode uh, okay to where uh, it it tells a story. And so it's not a a, a story book driven game. let, okay. let me be okay. clear on that. Mm-hmm. It is just it has a story that the game is going to tell, maybe stronger than other games in the past of his. So I'm a little apprehensive about that aspect because I tend to find that I don't enjoy games that focus on that aspect as mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. However, Clay has told me that he is super excited about this. And I got to be honest. Clay's pretty honest with me about games that he publishes Yeah. about whether or not he's like, well,
1: Clay is the head of Capstone. He is. Yeah. Okay.
0: And so this and Cooper Island, both he is extraordinarily excited about. Now, the weight on this, I think, is a misnomer. It shows 3.6 on bgg out of five which
1: is higher than it actually is yeah going to i don't in. think alexander Fisher has a game that heavy no
0: he doesn't this is no. going to fall around uh the great western trail exactly uh, yeah. weight of this but outside of that you pretty much know what i know as far as it's an exploration uh game uh to where you're exploring the caribbean uh down uh, maracaibo
1: yeah, but down Maracaibo Way. Right. Okay. So you're, you're you in go. tight with Clay. I would love to hear at some point in the future, if you ever ask him about this, why is he allowing this sentence to exist on Board Game Geek? As a player, you move with your ship around the course, managing it by using cards like in other games from Alexander Pfister. And that's our description. That's the most concrete thing we get. That's anybody can hit edit. And change this? Why? What does he? What, it, I.
0: I, yeah. I got nothing. I. I it sorry. is interesting
1: though. Um, is. Using That's cards funny. like other games, Alexander Fisher to me that specifically means the card management that was uh, consistent Mombasa. for um, Mombasa and then revisited in um, Blackout. I agree. Which. Yeah. So I assume it's the same idea, yeah. Which I thought that was brilliant in both games. I
0: think that's the 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 best part of both of those games. I think, uh, and I enjoyed Mombasa uh, more Mm -hmm. so than Blackout Hong Kong, but uh, but I think the the card play and the card management system in those games uh, is compelling. It's interesting. Yeah, I I always found it world
1: class stuff. Really good. Right.
0: So I'm looking forward to it. But other than that, I mean. This isn't an anticipation. We're anticipating these being good games. <laughs> I would argue out of the, I don't know, 36 or so games that we just covered between our two top twenties, mm-hmm. um, a couple of them end up special. The majority end up a game on a pile of games, and some end up being terrible. But you know what? This I think
1: is... I have a more upbeat outlook, but I, I get the sentiment.
0: No, but I think that I think that's genuine because I think and any given year there can only be so many i mean it's a bell curve right mm-hmm. uh, you know there uh, to where only some can be special most end up being good games but they're games on like they're five years from now are you going to be playing it eh. and i'm not saying specifically to maracaibo i'm saying big picture wise here i think that if if two two of my top 20 or even something else that isn't on my list. If there are two special games that come out of Essen, Mm -hmm. I would be thrilled. And I hope to have a huge amount of good games. I would be happy with that, but we'll see how it goes.
1: All right. Well, folks, that would be the end of my top 10 and Edwards top 10 most anticipated games.
0: All right. So let's, you know what? Real briefly, because I cheat, I'm going to throw out some names of other games that I'm interested in that are that miss the list, but okay. I do want to at least mention them. So, Mega City Oceana, it's a, like dexterity strategy game. Sounds like a weird mix, but it mm. sounds interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, Orchard Ocean, that's the next from Analog Lunchbox. They both have had interesting ideas the last two years: the uh, Lagerstatten and Airship City. I'm hoping this one improves upon those uh, just from a design standpoint. So there's that. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. It's uh, liqueur de miracle. Uh, and I'm just going to list the miracles. others. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Viking Jarl, uh, Nocturian, Sencha, Space Game Odyssey, Western Empires, which is like Mega Civ, just smaller, uh, Flotilla and Babylonia. There we go. That is our top 20 plus a whole bunch of others.
1: Just random stuff that you can barely pronounce. <laughs>
0: so there we go. So All right. All right. So, Richard, you ready to go over our top 10 demo only games?
1: My strength is flagging, but I, I, I think I can see it through.
0: All right. So what these are are games that we hope are going to be good, but they're not available for purchase. They're available for demo only as the uh, title uh, list so because this is running long and we don't know uh, a ton about necessarily these right. games we're going to uh just go ahead and you do your list and i'll do mine our top 10 demo only at s 2019
1: okay 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 so i'm going first or are you on first uh, please you're the guest please. let's do it to it okay number 10 is paris it's from game brewer and the reason it is on this list two names Kramer, Kiesling. I don't even understand, why is it demoing? Why is it not there for sale? I mean, these guys are untouchable. Don't care what it is. Kramer and Kiesling, whenever they get together, Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling, I should say, um, is one of the most prolific and uh, most fruitful game design duos in the industry, in the history of modern designer board games, and so anything they're going to do, I am there for. There's very little information... I don't care. It's it's already a win. If it were for sale, it would have made my top 10, but it's uh, instead making my demos. Number nine, Dominations The Road to Civilization from Holy Grail Games. I actually got to play this uh, two years ago or last year at UK Games Expo, and it is a very lovely and charming euro style civilization game. Uh, the central trick of it is in the title, uh, Dominations, because it's all about dominoes. We get these nice little uh, triangular dominoes as we build the world by expanding it and trying—instead of regular dominoes where you match numbers, put a 6 next to a 6—instead, we're trying to match um, military uh, next to military, or um, you know, finance next to finance, Because the more we can lay these out, the more we build up the resources we need to complete I think, if I recall correctly, there was something like 70 different um, civilization upgrade cards in this game. It was absolutely bonkers. But the there's a lot of cool things. There's this whole other side game where you're building up your own capital, doing a, a completely different domino-matching style game. It may sound simple, but it was I was surprised just how deep and rich it was. Plus, it's a civilization game where warfare exists, but not as a means to destroy each other, but instead to basically just kind of one-up each other a little bit. Uh, so much more in my wheelhouse. Number 9, domination Road to Civilization number eight is Roman Roll from PSC Games. This is a roll and write game from designer David Turchi and uh, I believe first-time designer Nick Shaw. I mentioned him earlier. I was thinking of this game when I mentioned Nick when we were talking about, I don't remember what it was, a lifetime ago. But I would have to say pretty confidently, this is the heaviest roll-and-write the industry has seen to date. Um And that, you know, that's not saying much, to be fair. Um But yeah, this is uh, so far beyond your gone-shown clevers and whatnot because this is a rebuilding the ancient city of Rome after the Great Fire type thing. Uh The dice we roll uh, are then drafted for and the dice are specialty dice that provide resources and or special... Uh, uh, actions you can do like build or you know either build the city or build the roads or conquer faraway colonies and whatnot, and uh, there is just a ton of stuff going on. But what really makes the game special is it is a great example of. A huge push for player interaction that is not about players attacking each other, but inadvertently creating opportunities for each other. If Edward uh, conquers a colony out there in you know Germania somewhere, and I happen to have some stone, oh how perfect! I'll use my stone to build the famous roads, um, which which gives me a lot of points. But then uh, you know Edward has to say, well thank you very much, because now that he's connected to Rome, he can start harvesting stuff out of there. And you know this is a game. Where Where you're just constantly, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, And it's constantly one-upping each other in looking for opportunities. I build a building next to yours. Your building produces for you. I get a senator, which gives me total control over the dice in the future. Um,
0: No, I was just going to say that while it's not on my top 10, it's definitely on my list. In fact, I would argue that all three of those so far are because... Crummer and Kiesling earlier, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah and the Roland, right. Or the Roman, right. Yep. Uh, Roman, Rome Roman roll. roll.
1: Roman roll. Thank yes. you.
0: Uh, definitely uh, something that has piqued my interest as well.
1: Okay, yeah, feel free to jump in as I move on to number seven, Perseverance, The Castaway Chronicles. However, I'll let you talk about that because that's on your list and you probably know more about it than me. Although again, it's another Dave Turchie design who is fast. I mean, Dave Turchie is definitely a designer on the rise. Uh, number six, Merchant's Cove from uh, Final Frontiers game, which I did a run through when it was on Kickstarter. This is a very interesting game in that it has the same kind of, oh, what do you call it? insane over-the-top player asymmetry as Root or Vast. And yet, it Mm. is not a dungeon crawler. It is not a -a dudes-on-a-map game. It is a goods building and conversion Euro game. So imagine all that insane! Wow, everybody's playing a completely different game, and yet we are all engaged in an economic. We're all merchants trying to make the best stuff to sell to people. Uh, I was super duper impressed by this because every whether you're a blacksmith or a fortune teller or a uh, uh, you know a, a sea captain out looking for treasure, everyone's playing a radically different game, but all to the same goal of generating goods that they we can sell to punters who come in every round, and we're competing to sell the most stuff but we just have to play our own little mini-games to do it. Really cool. Uh, number five... Is tr- uh, tw- I said I almost said Troy is how embarrassing? Trois <laughs> dice, Trois dice from Pearl Games. What more do you need to know? It's frickin' Trois with. I mean, I know some people will say, well, wasn't Trois always a dice game? Same way you can say, wasn't Burgundy always a dice game? No, it was a heavy goods conversion action, <laughs> um, you know, engine building game that happened to feature dice. Now it's all about them bones, yo, and I, you know, Trois is still in my top ten games of all time. Uh, Black Angel didn't quite knock. It out uh, for various reasons. Although Black Angel could go the distance in the long run with some expansion content. But Twa Dice, come on. Uh, Yeah, definitely gotta play that. Number four. Followers. This is another game from Cosmodrome. And if you've stuck with us this long, you know we have both been uh, keeping our eye on that publisher. I believe it's a Russian publisher. It is. uh, Which is amazing to me. That's so cool, just in and of itself. But um, I believe this is on your list as well. So you will be able to talk about it a bit more than me. Um, All I know is, at this point, oh, if it's from Cosmodrome, okay, I'm interested because those guys, they seem to have very good taste and they have access to some very clever designers. Number three is Climate Oasis from Black Box Adventures. This is my biggest... um, My biggest gamble? And if anything, this game is the thematic opposite of PAX Transhumanity in that this one does not take a bright, sunny, optimistic view of how we are going to be able to use technology to solve all our problems. This one argues the opposite. Nope, technology is going to lead to our downfall. But not in a Mad Max post-apocalypse ruins kind of way or anything like that, uh, from reading the description where it talks about, um, you know, new strains of designer viruses that, um, you know, get out of control, uh, corporate hegemonies, you know, basically ruling everybody's life, um, you know, designer, uh, you know, DNA babies, uh, and, and, and the, the, the thrust of the game is, yes, we have this technocratic dystopia, um and we but players are ones who have tried to unplug and go back to basics and uh, you know use the technology that's available but in a positive humanity affirming way rather you know so they're trying to make a pax transhumanity in a world where things definitely went the wrong way okay Um, yeah i'm super interested in that read the description and you're like oh yeah, I guess that could be a thing. Oh, I guess that could be a thing, too. Oh, this is kind of messing with my optimistic view of humanity's future um, <laughs> in a way that Mad Max fails to do because it's a cartoon. Uh, this sounds So that's interesting. Uh, Climate Oasis. Number two is our Running Quest Soul Raider from One for All. Running Quest is apparently... It, it, this isn't about joggers or anything like that. It's the name <laughs> of a new series. Um, and uh, it's a Running Quest because it is a quest game that you will continue uh, your, uh, your character's adventures through multiple expansions. You, it's an ongoing quest. It's a running quest that your character will keep coming back for as you buy. It's kind of sounds like a living card game proposal in terms of how, there's just new stuff that keeps coming out, new boxes of cards, give you new adventures, but you take your character through them and you just keep building them up over time. Yeah. But living card game
0: idea. I hate the idea of having to always constantly buy more
1: stuff. Yep. 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 Oh, and I imagine that's part of this, uh, but I am intrigued to see how it does this. This is kind of the promise that Pathfinder, the adventure card game originally had, but really failed to deliver on. And so I'm interested in this for that reason. And also because it is from designer Mark Andre, who is the designer of Splendor. Which has got to be probably one of the most impactful and influential games that has come out in the last five years. And, um, this, and he's done a couple of little things that I haven't really paid much attention to, but this seems like a really big Hail Mary for him. Uh, Splendor was definitely not for me and Jen. Uh, it just kind of fell flat with us, but I can Same. appreciate, I can appreciate why it's so well loved. It's solid. It does what it sets out to do. I'm just not interested in what it does. And this is so weird because it's, it's so far the opposite of what he's done before. So this is kind of like my version of some of your other ones where, okay, I don't have any reason to expect this to be good, but I got to see. I gotta yeah, See,
0: to. there you go. There's there's merit to that. And let me just, I, I love you so much was for, that? Uh, that I have no problem with what it had to say. I just have no interest <laughs> in what it was trying to say. I love you for that because that's exactly how I feel about that game. And yeah. you summed it up so well. I
1: love you for that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, cool. If only all games could have such wonderful poker chips, I think we'd have a lot more big major crossover hits. Oh, he went there. Oh, silly me. Uh, but hey, <laughs> nobody's listed this long, right? This is Roto After Dark. I'm going to start cursing if I uh, don't uh, button it down a little bit. Oh, my number one uh, from Rudy Games is a game called AR Team. The AR stands for augmented reality. Right. right? And I love technology and board games. I know it's a hot button topic for some folks, including listeners now, but I love the idea of I don't, I don't know anything about the game. Apparently it's a cooperative. We're going on missions and saving the day. I don't know if it has some kind of military thing to it, but I want a game where I take out my smartphone and I look at the game through my screen and all kinds of you know UI pips and various things pop up uh, because I just love that. I, I love seeing how can th- the game design space be pushed forward with technology. And so, I mean, that's it's my number one because I am most intrigued by that idea. Um, I'm, I think we have had some augmented reality games but they've yet to, I can't think of them off the top of my head.
0: Um, the only one that, and I don't know if you really want to call it a augmented reality, yeah. but using uh, a, like an app as yeah. a key yeah. part of the game that helps you see things differently, something yes. like that. The one that comes to mind, and I haven't played it since it was a prototype, which is U-Boot, uh, using, mm. uh, yeah, the, yeah, using yeah. the app sure. as a
1: periscope. And yep. it actually But I is, would I wouldn't call that augmented reality. I would call that virtual reality because that's effectively what's that's doing. Okay, that's, fair enough. Yeah. Fair
0: point. Fair point. And
1: and, and and it was a good implementation. I oh, actually well I, I only saw the prototype too, and the prototype was really rough. It tended to crash a lot. I'm sure it's much better now. I would assume. I hope. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, you know, this is something I mean, you know, augmented reality's been around for quite a while and there's lots of, you know, smartphone games, you know, people running around in the streets of London with their phones out looking at stuff. you know, Pokémon Go. Oh, po- I was just going to you yeah. beat me to it. Pokémon Go. So, there you taking go. those ideas and bringing them into board games there's huge potential there so I'm very interested hopefully they leverage it but I don't know if they do how about you demo man unless you have anything to say about those ones other than the ones that were already on your list
0: uh no no don't okay. that'll, that'll work that's All that's right. impressive that's uh you're going deeper into these than I was planning on so oh, quick, though that was you talk very fast though. I do
1: you do you so talk that. kind of normal you even maybe a little slow. I, 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 I am used to listening to you at 2x speed, I have to admit. Uh, on, you're not on the YouTube. only one. Yes.
0: Um, that is not an affront to <laughs> me. I actually take it as a compliment because there are people that tell me that are non-native listeners that they can follow me uh, a lot easier.
1: With That's this true. I get a lot of... Rado, could you slow down a little, please? I get a, <laughs> lo- I get a lot of that.
0: <laughs> All right. So here we go. My All top right. 10... And a whole bunch of others because I cheat. Uh, My top 10, (laughs) real quick. Oh my
1: God. Yes, you do. This is what Uh, is this a top 20? No,
0: well, it, yes, but it's top 10. And then there's other games that I at least want to put on people's radar. That's all. All That's all I'm trying to do here. All right. So here we go. Number ten, the defense of Procyon Three, yep. I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, another David Turcy game, and also yep. from Plastic uh, Soldier, I th- yep. PSC Studio or PSC Games. I think that's Plastic Studio Company. Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, or
1: Plastic th- Soldier.
0: Plastic Soldier. Thank that's you. That's right. That's, that's it. it. it yes. um, so it's it's interesting. It's a team game, but it's asymmetric uh, team game, or dudes on a map type mm. uh, game where you are. Uh, teams in a, a, a sci-fi futuristic uh, game to where it's, you know, 2v2. Two, two Sounds interesting. Plus, I'll be honest, um, some of David Turtsy's games have really appealed to me. Some have not. But I am always interested think to see fair. what it comes up with. Well,
1: that's the thing. I think more than anything else, I mean, you know, designers, as they build more of a pedigree, they start getting known for certain things. Right. David, if anything, is getting known for Basically, um, a completely new and different type of game style for every single game he makes. He does yes. not he, revisit uh, ideas.
0: I am not trying to put him in the same category. Yeah. However, Vlado Shivato
1: kinda exactly. yes. comes to mind. To where and a, you know what? Like, if he hears you say a- that. He that would put him over the moon because he is the biggest Vlada fan in the universe.
0: Well, I mean, he 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 designs weird like all over the place. Yes, so exactly. I'm curious. You never know what you're to, getting with him. Right, hundred uh, percent. And so on that note, uh, when you brought up a Roman roll, that's yep. a, a it's a Roland Wright esque whatever. You talked about it already. Mm. I'm curious to see about that game as well because again, he's so all over the place. And yeah. so,
1: and apparently, uh, the other interesting thing about this, if I recall correctly, was yes, it's it's uh, teams, and if you and I are on the same team, one of us is kind of running the ground game, and, and the, the other S- one is, space, is is yeah is is the air support or, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. I the mean, that's air, really air intriguing. Lane. Yeah, and except it's only, all about fighting, so I'm not interested. But otherwise, that understood. would have made my list if the I idea, were a different person. Yeah, though. Yes, had, totally, right. totally.
0: So there you go, the defense of Procyon Three. So yep. that's my number ten. Uh, number nine, um, you 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 put a lot of a lot of pressure on me on this. Do it, man. I'll be honest, I don't have a whole lot. of... Give us
1: followers from Cosmodrome.
0: It's the newest game, it, <laughs> from hardcore Euro game combining two epic subjects: mythology and time travel. Has yes. there been has there been a good time travel game? I don't uh, think well
1: so. there's David Turchie's anachrony.
0: Anachrony, but I would argue uh, anyway. <gasps> I think it's fine. Um you Whoa. take away you take away the minis, and I think it's a fine game, whatever. Um I don't think it's
1: <laughs> I, apparently it doesn't make the two special games of the year for uh for you.
0: Right. Uh, anachrony does not. But that said, uh followers. Uh so mythology meets time travel. So this seems like, again, I know Cosmodrome from Smartphone, Inc., as does, I imagine, everybody else listening to this, right. as well as the two or three games that we've spoken about over the course of the last few hours when they've come up. They're kind of all over the place right now. Like yeah. you, I don't know. I would have expected more Smartphone, Inc., type games and this sounds really out there but a worker placement which i'm noticing a whole lot of these on my list uh here but area majority um no i i don't know i know it's set somewhere into the future sort yeah. of
1: uh, or the past if it's time travel. Right. So basically uh, we both put on the list because of one word cosmodrome.
0: Right. I'm curious oh, to enough. see what yeah, the, yeah. how they follow up uh smartphone ink. It's really that simple and yep. the other ones uh one of them um I discounted because of the artwork and then I put it back on my list cuz it's dice drafting. Yep. The other one was uh the abyss-esque
1: game. Yes, I forget uh, the name of it. Aquatica, Aquatica.
0: Thank you. Uh I kind of wrote that one off because it's more family weight-esque however it's, it's got weird a couple- they
1: describe it like that because remember i mentioned it does have that um concordia hand right. management yep. thing i would say it's family friendly and i mean concordia is family friendly i agree so on that so note I would, I would put it not too far away from there in terms of weight
0: of the three though this is the one that caught my interest the most and so just because yeah. um it 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 60 to 120 minutes plus it talks it, it self-builds itself as a hardcore euro mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i'm interested so there yeah, you yeah. go so All that's right. the follow-up for me number nine followers so then my number eight uh kind of follows in line with crusader kings uh another okay. uh board game i'm sorry uh, another video uh, epic sprawling video game Following up onto the tabletop, uh, which is Europa Universalis, which this one I have less expectation of than Crusader Kings. And the reason for that is it. the whole title is Europa Universalis, uh, The Price of Power. It's a one to six player, a 90 to 300 minute game, weight of four. It's a dudes on a map game uh, that I fear is going to be overwrought and more about combat and that type of aspect and less than what I'm looking at than at Crusader Kings. However, it is a big, sprawling, heavy, Mm -hmm. oh, look, medieval uh, game that I'm super interested in because of what it is and the the, uh, lineage that it has coming from the video game Background. Okay. Uh, which that is another.
1: So that's the second time you said that. Are you a
0: video gamer? I used to be a lot more so when I had time. Uh, I tend uh-huh. to be, uh, I liked solo RPGs, stuff like Skyrim, uh, Oblivion, things like that. But I also would play like Borderlands and things uh, going old school, Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy <laughs> series, all those I love. I've never been into Twitch uh, fa- uh, fps's that's never been my thing because i'm too old and too slow apparently and i don't mm-hmm. get it but yeah i loved video games growing up but i just don't have the time for it right now because board games so anyway yeah. Univer- uh, europa universalis is a massive sprawling dudes on a map civ game that looks awesome but is it going to be just another one that I want to play that never hits the table? Maybe. I don't know. But it's my number eight. <laughs> Moving on to number seven. Boy, I'm going to damn this one with faint praise. Rise of an Emperor, Worlds in Conflict. The thing going for it has a pretty cool premise. The thing going against it is the publisher hasn't done Great so far, and that's for Dados. I'll get into that later because there's another game higher on the list. Okay. So, Rise of an Empire, oh, uh, yes, I uh, see. Oh, Worlds in Conflict. Uh, it's kind of a sci fi fantasy theme here where each player chooses one of seven regent houses, and it's a card playing, variable plat power, worker placement game that sounds interesting just on the premise. Plus, this is another risk in that I want the games that Four dados to put out to be good. I'm craving the games they put out to be good. Let's hope 2019 is the year for that.
1: <laughs> so there's that. i I've I'm, I'm my, I've I'm, I hope it for you. All right. So there you and go. Good thoughts on to the universe for you. Uh, yeah,
0: thanks. I appreciate it. So number seven, Rise of an Emperor, or Rise of an Emperor, Worlds in Conflict. Moving on to number six, Perseverance, Castaway Chronicles. This was on your list. I want to say your number seven, I think, Richard? Somewhere around. Uh, so this is the latest big game coming out from Mind Clash Games. Yep.
1: Here's And designer Dave
0: Turc uh, uh, as well as Victor Peter and a whole bunch of other folks at Mind Clash Games. Yes.
1: Yeah, in Mind Clash proper, Yes. Uh exactly. so the thing that appears Oh yeah, those guys, you know, they're they're definitely involved in everything. Right.
0: They yeah. they they everything that Mind Clash puts out, they both have a hand in it seems. Uh mm. so Perseverance, Euro, dice, dice drafting, uh player constructed worker placement spots with dinos. I'm in. There you go. I'm in. All of those
1: things. The crazy thing about this game, to me, is the uh, the setting. It's basically there was a cruise liner that crashed on a crazy deserted island. Think lost, kind of. Um, and cut to five generations later. As um, everybody who was on that cruise liner has now basically had to build a new civilization in this dinosaur-infested world. I, it's, I, I'm sure
0: I'm in let's yeah, do it we, ex- i'm okay with that we, yep. Uh, yep. yeah it, weird themes which mind clash seems to be uh doing very well with and weird as a compliment as in not the same mm-hmm. you know hey let's go into the well it's Middle it's Aches. not your
1: favorite it's not medieval hey, we know easy. that but.
0: but yes uh but <laughs> the the fact that it's dice drafting it's worker placement and you create your own worker placement spaces Uh, Mm. That sounds fascinating to me, and I'm all about checking this out. So there you go. That is Perseverance Castaway Chronicles, my number six. Moving on now to number five. Now, these everything from here up except for one is a risk, I think. So here we go. Number five, Freedom. It's a siege game. And so it's a two-player only from Phalanx Games. That it's going to be one player trying to, it kind of reminds me of, I think it's Stronghold from Porto Games way back in the day. Where Uh one player is playing the invader, one player is playing the defender. The thing that kind of uh, piqued my interest on this is there are essentially two boards here. There's a macro, zoomed out, big picture, the city, and then you have the invaders coming in to try and get to the city. And then the other board is a zoomed in version, which has the actual more tactical things of inside the city. Mm, okay. That sounds interesting. It looks game. uh looks good. It's a two player only, as I mentioned from, uh, from Phalanx. So we'll see how it looks. So there you go. My number five, Freedom. Next, we have my number four, Glory, A Game of Nights. And now that dude, you have made me so aware of this medieval thing.
1: <laughs> I think you need to reevaluate certain life. Choices uh,
0: uh, apparently that's point. the case. So glory, a game of <laughs> nights,
1: this one, I'm curious. Why do you think you don't like medieval?
0: Uh, I don't like the artwork from it. The, the okay. style, the, the artwork style, from which is one? a very distinct thing. It yeah. Is. I mean, very so, yeah, throne of so allegory is like where and trois, this all started. An right. Antoine, yeah. I do not like that aesthetic, um, and it, it, like when it comes to combat games or war games, uh, this time period mm. never really appealed to me either. However, huh. apparently uh, Euro games set in this time period. I'm all over from, there you from the sounds of it. It's a uh, you're a young knight and your goal is to be famous. So, OK, fine. But <laughs> worker placement and honestly, uh, the way it looks on the table from the pictures, from what I've seen, looks interesting However, I did dig into this one a little bit more and I read some of the comments and some of the comments had me a little apprehensive about it, that you're going to outfit your knight in different armor and different, uh, 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 weapons and so on and so forth. However, when you get into combat, what it is that you outfitted didn't really matter as much. It didn't have it nearly the impact that you would think that it should. Mm. So that has me a little apprehensive. However, that, that was a prototype of the game. So we'll see if things have evolved. So Glory, a game of knights, my number four. Now we're going back to Phalanx. And this is another two-player only game called Europe Divided. This one, um, interesting that it has dice all over the board. It has a, a map of the world or a map of, I should say, Europe. And it has dice on the board that represent either strength of units or units themselves i'm not quite sure because there's not a ton of information out there about this that i was willing to dig into so i wasn't willing to watch videos and all of that (laughs) um but a game of expansionist europe a resurgent russia and a new cold war this is set post cold war. So that sounded interesting and the look of it on the table looks interesting to me. So I was like, yeah. I'm 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 curious to see it. So there we go. Number 3, Europe Divided. Number 4, or I'm sorry, number 2, High Frontier 4. Come on. It's High Frontier and it's the new edition. Everything in this game is supposed to be modular. I'm supposed to be getting this game later this week, a prototype Yeah, of you it. said
1: you're going to try and oh, play it the day before you Yep,
0: we're going to be live streaming it on Sunday. Uh, so the day before we fly wee out for wee. Essen. Um, not a lot has changed in this version oh, okay. of High Frontier. However, the rulebook's going to be different, and it's going to change the way the modules get implemented, and it's going to be a lot more approachable. So hopefully this is going to bring more people into the High Frontier universe. Uh So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But my number two, even though it's technically a reprint, it's changed enough. Even if the game hasn't changed, the way it's implemented has changed. I'm curious to see how this goes. So high hopes for that. And finally, my number one, burn me once, shame Mm -hmm. on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. My number one most anticipated game last year was Democracy Under Siege from Four Datos. It ended up not being the most developed and best game out there. Okay, but here we are again, for Dados. Please do me right this year. It's Rise of Totalitarianism, and
1: totalitarianism?
0: Yes, uh, from the same designer. It's Luca Camisa, <laughs> and this looks fascinating. It's set in World War One timeframe, Germany, nineteen nineteen. Uh, Everything about this game just from a, oh wow, look at that when it's on the table, looks really interesting to me. However, I hope it's a more polished simulation than Democracy Under Siege was. So this is supposed to be a quote-unquote interactive simulation enabling you to explore all various what-if questions that could have taken place back in 1919. So, Does it end up being a good game? I don't know, but I hope so. It's my number one rise of totalitarian. I butcher this every time I say it. Totalitarianism. There we go. My number one most anticipated demo. And then, but wait, you're there's more uh, real quick. Shars uh, dominations road to civilization. As you Mm -hmm. mentioned, goons 1941 race to Moscow. Trinidad, 303 Squadron, Great Eminence, just sounds weird and looked interesting. Pool Beat, you run a pool hall. Hey, I used to shoot pool. That's interesting. And Tangaru. All of those also would have made the list. From
1: the malls, brothers, or father and son. Yes,
0: it is. uh, From the same designer as Rococo. And Rococo is my quintessential medium weight euro that I love. Whoa. No, no. Whoa. I love Rococo
1: wow so, those are strong words, so Tung- I, I don't mean to disparage right it's great
0: so tungaru I Louis have and stephen malls yep so we'll see there we go
1: what did you think about um queen's architect i haven't played it but, 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 but they're your quintessential i yeah,
0: right? i didn't say i get to everything i said that 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 was that, that, not wow. that they i just Oh,
1: wait, actually wait a minute oh that's right no that's a that's a that's a Michael that's a Matthias Kramer game. They did the the expansion. Oh no, it's them working with Matthias Kramer. That's what all I right. Was. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: So there we go. Matthias our Kramer top,
1: of Glenn Moore fame. Of, of course.
0: course. Our top ten yes. uh, most anticipated demos. Now, very quickly, we're going to go through though. these. Our top ten expansions.
1: Before we go on to that, yes. Uh, you just listed almost 20 or so. I did. How many of those are you actually going to play?
0: Oh, I'll probably play.
1: What none is of them? your experience? Oh, I'll
0: probably play okay. none okay. of them. But what yes. I will do is I will go and I will watch hover. Yeah, hover yeah. as well as talk to the publisher and have them run me through more than an elevator pitch, but we'll say a five to 10 minute overview of the game Yeah, to see how much. Okay. You got me here. The description or something about that game got me to the booth. Now, tell me about it and and summarize why I should be interested in this game, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. there are literally 150, 200 games that I'm going to be taking a look at over the course of four days. Well, really five days, but I digress. That said, there's only so, many, so much time you can dedicate to the maybes. Yeah, yeah, You know sure. what I mean? So there you go. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I will start this expansion. Top ten Let's expansions go. for one reason or another. So here we go. <laughs> Three of these games I've never played. Which might sound weird. Give me a little give me a little grace here. I'll explain it. Number 10, Gugong panjun I think is how you pronounce it.
1: Yes, I believe it's actually more like Gugong. Okay, but people people go with Gugong. Okay,
0: uh, Panjun, the expansion for the big box expansion for Gugong. Yep. I thought the card mechanism in Gugong was really good. The rest of the game was perfectly fine. However, Game Brewer has been doing an amazing job with their production, so kudos to them. I'm hoping this improves the gameplay and makes it more compelling to me. So there we go. Interested to check out this expansion. The next game is. Uh, Ephemeris Solstice have you ever heard of this game Ephemeris before this was on the list no sorry Bob I hadn't either it is a adventure that carries you away to explore the firmament aboard French English and Spanish Navy vessels maneuver through the skies using stellar winds to be the first nation to dominate the trade routes by opening the safest courses to your territory it's a tile lane hand management game that actually I'd never heard of, but this expansion made me interested in checking out the base game. So there you go. Ephemeris Solstice, my number nine. The next one is another game that I actually picked up last Essen and haven't gotten around to yet. Shame on me. <laughs> and that is Pandoria. And the expansion this year is Pandoria, and there's technically two small expansions here Artifacts and Realms. Have you played Pandoria, good sir? Uh,
1: that is from Burned Eisenstein. It right? is. Yes, and uh, Iron. Ironworks. Yeah, that's his company. Uh, thank Iron you, Ironworks. Iron Iron yes. For yes. yeah. Iron um, Games. Yes, Pandoria games, is but... a. Oh, yeah. Pandoria is a very clever, very puzzly, uh, uh, you know, territory grabbing game. Right. Um, and uh, it's very very oh man how can i cut you off and all the work you've just put in how can i make sure you get zero points out of that so you've just wasted the last 10 minutes kind of a thing (laughs) but it's a very good example of that sort of thing
0: well if that suits you there you go well i'm interested in playing it and the expansion uh i'm curious this it kind of reinvigorates my desire to get it to the table uh so there's that the next one is number seven power grid middle east and south africa i love power grid i didn't for a long time i played it got tired of it and then did away with it and sold everything but mm-hmm. then i played it some more before i left denver and i fell back in love with power grid and then when we went to the gathering of friends i saw you've been to the gathering of friends uh, and i i, I have
1: uh, I have not, I, I have not, this was
0: anybody. my first year and I met freedom and freeze for the first time. And he had both of these maps and we did not play them, but we did a brief overview of both of the maps and they both sounded fascinating. So energy really? supply in South Africa is, uh, nationalized, which sounded like a pretty cool, interesting idea. Behind it, and the Middle East has an abundance of oil. However, in the near future, so-called peak oil threatens the area. This is the point in time the output of oil wells begin to decrease. Already, a few countries in this region have nuclear power plants, and that number will increase in the future as the amount of oil from the wells diminishes. So, in other words, nuclear gets more prevalent, oil becomes less prevalent and the dichotomy of the two markets f- was really interesting to me. And so there you go. So power grid, middle East and South Africa maps on number seven. And the last one that I haven't played that I'm itching to play has a new expansion rise to nobility beyond. Have you played rise to nobility?
1: No, I have not. Now uh, this is from the same guys, uh, uh, final frontier. The same guys who did Merchant's Cove, which I uh, mentioned.
0: Oh, okay. It is. Yeah. 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 Final Frontier Games. It is. And this is arguably the heaviest game I've ever physically heavy.
1: It, well, oh, it, oh it, geez. not. not <laughs> but, although I will say, don't let the art fool you. I've well, this is another game we talked about him earlier from the world, the super hot, um, um, the Miko uh, Mihailo Dmitrievsky, who did the art for zoocracy. It is who his art is bright, bold, colorful, uh just explosive with life and. Character.
0: And it's a worker placement game that. Don't let the artwork fool you in the weight of the game. No, I have not played it yet. However, I have gone through the rule book and it is dense. It is surprisingly heavy for what it is, both literal and figurative. It's probably it's a massively uh, chock full box. Uh, And the expansion just motivates me to want to get this to the table even more.
1: Is this the one that's about um uh, you know bringing uh, refugees and immigration into your and then trying to set them up? Oh, the expansion I know that you're was saying? One of their games. No, 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 I mean it was is Rise of Nobility the one that's about immigration.
0: Oh, no, it's a um I'm trying to hold on. No, it's not to where you own a, s- a small piece of land, and you're trying to uh, become a lord of the land. So
1: okay, there you okay. go.
0: So it's it's more right. a evolution of, a of one, yeah. wait for it, medieval theme.
1: Hey, there you go. You love it. You know you love uh, it.
0: Apparently I do. I will never say that I don't again. And the expansion- It's a good
1: thing I was here to point that out to you, because <laughs> you just would have kept living in denial.
0: The expansion of it- uh, Uh, It looks to be a fairly big box expansion of it, um, and it adds more to an already dense game. So there you go. That's my number six, Rise to Nobility Beyond. Number five is Barrage. The League were water project, Um, more Barrage. I know that there were production issues. I'm talking about the game mechanisms. I think Barrage was a fantastic game, and this adds more weight. To an already heavy game. And I've already tinkered around a little bit with the expansion and I like what it brings to the table. So, yeah, more barrage is good, in my opinion. My number five. Moving on to is more better question. Number four, mm-hmm. Trecurian has two expansions coming out, which if you were privy to the Kickstarter, you already have probably already gotten these, but Dawn of Technology yeah. and Doll Guards Academy. Tracurion is a hard game, and there is a lot already going on in that game, and mm-hmm. I love Trickerion. The question is, does it need more? Eh, I don't know, but I'm awfully, awfully interested and awfully curious to implement both of the expansions. I am a really big fan of Trickerion, and yeah, we'll see if more is better. My number three is to a game that I was only lukewarm on. And that is Underwater Cities.
1: Wow! Yep. First, Gugong, and now Underwater Cities? Yep. True story. Oh. Uh, you just do not like cards as workers, obviously. I, I do, but I. You clearly do not, sir. I think I've got proof.
0: <laughs> Vladimir Tsuchi's best game is still Shipyard in my opinion.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, unassailable. And that's, that's
0: fact, OK. Thank you. At least we can I'm not agree gonna argue on, on that. This. But
1: Underwater yeah, yeah. Cities,
0: I didn't dislike. I just it didn't grab me. I wanted to like this game so, so much more than I did.
1: That is interesting. I mean, because the, the two games, obviously, they came out same as last year and they both kind of leverage this. Yeah, your workers are cards and you do funky things based on where they end up going. One had the, you know, the swapping, the other one had the activating, uh, you know, the the effect of the the match the color and all of that. Um, and they both were just kind of lukewarm. Yeah. Man, it's amazing. And I trust me,
0: hands. it wasn't by choice. I wanted to like these games more than I did. You failed. You failed them. Oh, no, I fail. think the you games were. failed me, but I digress. <laughs> so Underwater City's new discoveries, it's a modular, it's a bunch of modules uh, that you can either yeah. put together or you know, piecemeal into it so i'm hoping that i it makes me want to or it makes me enjoy the game more i'm hoping i'm there's a reason it's number three i have high hopes i want it can you
1: articulate if you remember i obviously it's probably been close to a year since you've tried it it's
0: been it's been probably too long for me to be able to Uh, I know I spoke about it pretty well when we did our playthrough.
1: I'll have to go. I'll have to go. Look. Yeah. That's watch really the, the round. Table I, I, discussion. I understand the, the response to Google, you know, it's central thing, but then everything else it does is pretty, Hey, I'm moving up tracks Yeah, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm putting cubes down. It's pretty straightforward with one cool thing, but yeah, I mean, under our seasons, anyway, I'm sorry.
0: I'm interrupting. You're fine. You're fine. No, I think this is, I think this is interesting listening. So you're good. All right. Last two. Are probably no surprises if you are at all a fan of this show. Number <laughs> number two
1: I could have guessed them myself. Through the Ages,
0: yes, uh, New Leaders and Wonders. It doesn't add a whole lot, but it changes the game considerably. This, is, uh, For the longest time, Through the Ages was my number one game. Um, I've been dying for these to come out. I know they're out on the digital side. I'm excited to get a copy of this for the actual uh, board game version of it. And yes, uh, more Through the Ages, in my opinion, is a good thing. Speaking of a of earlier. Mm-hmm. And my number one, I mean, how can it be anything other than the food chain magnate, the ketchup mechanism, and other ideas?
1: Yes, just based on the title. Uh, oh, seriously. Yeah. oh, they
0: they worked hard <laughs> on that one. No, um, I have I'm privy to some of the modules that are in this. I don't know them all, so it's going to be somewhat of a surprise to me. But the ones that I do know about, I've enjoyed every implementation of those. And can't wait for it to breathe new life into Food Chain Magnate. Another Golden Elephant Award winner. Uh, So there you go. My top 10 uh, most anticipated expansions. Sir, take it away.
1: All right, sir. Um, I have 10 of which I will speak. Starting with uh, number 10, Habitats. The XL expansion. Uh, If you don't know, Habitats is a wonderful little mid-weight tile laying game. And this adds a bunch of tiles. It's pretty, it's not particularly ambitious. It's it's, more, it, it, Hey, if
0: you like habitat, have more habitat. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Uh, number nine, Concordia. Um, uh, the, the, main, the main map is uh, Celerica, and then you can either get Cyprus or Italia, depending on where you fall on the great Concord, or Concordia divide, you know whether you kept the original box or whether you got the, um, which way did I go? I have to look. Uh, oh, I oh, the Venus. Venus. Right, right. Yeah. Which means I don't have Italian anymore. So this is your way to get the one that's missing, either Cyprus oh, or that's Italy. that's clever.
0: That's smart. And,
1: uh, which is, yeah.
0: And the only reason I don't have this, I cheated. I totally saw this on your list. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about it then. That's,
1: I mean, it's. <laughs> I was going to say, I was kind of surprised it didn't make it. No, that's all. Um, that's the only reason. There you go. Because Oh, that's right. And you mentioned this earlier, that you realized, oh, it's going to get brought up. So you didn't yeah, have to. Concordia,
0: yeah, Concordia, every year they come out with a new map. Or two, as it were, and yeah, I mean, more Concordia, yes.
1: Yep. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, though. You're right. Every year they come out with a map, and for the most part, they're pretty subtle. If there's any changes at all, that does not seem to be the case with this. This seems more like salsa level um, new stuff because they do add another new. I forget what it is. Some new resource that you can get that you can use in myriad different ways. Um, so this is this is bigger than just oh another uh, you know another expansion in in uh, plastic wrap. Uh, I can see you're looking it up. So while you're doing that, I'll keep the patter going with number eight, Baron Park, Bad News Bears, which is a lovely little uh, tile drafting, tile laying game. And the thing that's intriguing to me about it from Phil Walker Harding, if I recall correctly, is... um, one of the thi- one of the modules this adds is being able to put trams up, and it has this really lovely toy factor because they are actual little 3D constructions that not sculpts, not minis, but little um, tram uh, you know guideways that uh, that go through the sky that you put together by folding cardboard in various sundry ways. And uh, bad, New- or, yeah, bad news Bears is a terrible name, uh, but Baron Park itself is a good good game.
0: I think it's hysterical the fact that they did that. You know, bad news.
1: Well, right? it's it's no it's nowhere near as good as uh, the catch up mechanism. Uh, uh, well, I mean, right. that's that's seriously. that's tough to beat. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. Uh, so to double back on the Concordia, uh, oh, yeah. it has a fish market. Uh, It can either be used with the Balerica map or uh, introduced into the base map, uh, the base game. It's a new commodity. Fish replaces the ordinary Mm -hmm. bonus units that you normally collect when you're playing uh, your prefect. The bonus is doubled up to two fish in each province in which you failed to produce in the last round. There's a fish market where you can sell them, et cetera, et cetera. So it introduces that as well.
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's a little bit more than, oh, we start um, at sea instead of at land. Right. You know, the other sure. kinds of little things they've done in the past. So that's really cool. Anyway, my number seven, Pursuit of Happiness experiences. I love the theme of the game of life. Don't particularly care for the game, but um, Pursuit of Happiness is a very nice, lightweight worker placement game where at the end of it, you have lived a life. And you win if you have lived... The best, Your most best rich, life. and fulfilling life. Yeah. And it's just that's such a wonderful theme. The the worker placement is Fine, there's nothing it, you know earth shattering about it, but it's good, it's solid. But um, you know, every time we play that game, we end up telling interesting, fun stories, and uh, you know, more stuff is always better. They actually have another expansion which wasn't on the list, um, which is something to do with uh, you can walk the wild side and, and have a criminal life now. But experience <laughs> is apparently some new mechanism that they're throwing in, and I just love it. I, I love that team. I, I it just makes me so happy to play it. Uh, number six is the tiniest one, Santa Maria. The exploration deck. I believe this is just a deck of literally 10 cards that gives players unique special startup powers. Easy enough. That's it. Alright. Yep, yeah, you just, if you buy it for 5 euros, something like that, how can you not do it if you love Santa Maria as much as I do? Number 5 is Imperial Settlers Empires of the North, Japanese Islands. I don't know if you've uh, tried Empires of the North. I'm sure you played Imperial Settlers. What? Get right on out of town.
0: I, n- now it's not because of... It. Any other reason than I just never got around to it? Uh, uh, Full disclosure, I have 51st state. And I enjoy fifty first state.
1: Well, I guess that's
0: which essentially is Imperial Settlers, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's the mm-hmm. first version, um, but like Mad Max version. Um yeah, yeah. and this is this goes back to when I first got into the hobby in 2012, 2013. 51st state was super well thought of, and I got all in on fifty-first state. And I've played it a, a number of times. I've enjoyed it, and I never saw the point of upgrading it or modernizing it to Imperial settlers. Yeah. So that's it. That's the, that's the only reason. Cause I really enjoyed Well, empires of State. the North.
1: Did, I mean, I'm sure, you know, it, it, it is not just a re It does add significant new stuff. There's a lot of really cool things in empires of the North and, uh, Hey, it, clearly they're going to support it because they're bringing out new expansions for it with the Japanese islands. Number four is, a Rudiger Dorn game, Runestones, and this is the expansion Nocturnal Creatures. And I assume you probably haven't played Runestones. I don't even know if it's available yet, in all honesty, because I think it's maybe only just now getting to.
0: Yeah, I I have not played it. I've heard of it, and obviously I I did some research on this after going through all of this, Um, but no, have you?
1: Yes, I have played Rune Stones. It is Rudiger Dorn's first and only um, deck-building game, and its main claim to fame is uh, I love deck-building games that focus an equal amount on deck destruction. You know, um, like uh, Valley of the Kings, and, and uh, there's been a few games. There you go. Know, Dale of Merchants is another one. Uh, the interesting thing about Rune Stones is you, you've got your deck, you want to fill it up with lots of cool powers. Um, but every turn, if I recall correctly, you pay two cards, and every card has a number, an initiative number. And uh, you do both of the powers, and then whichever the higher number card is, is out of the game. So every round, you are you know, hemorrhaging cards. And as you might imagine, of course, the higher the number, the more powerful the cards. Of card. course. So, yeah, so you're constantly trying to draft new cards to supplement all the ones that you are just bleeding out all over the place. It's um, a much more dynamic deck builder in that regard. The deck pretty much always stays small because as fast as they're coming in, they're going out. And it's always very uh, tough because, well, I don't want to keep this card. This is the one I'm going to keep. So you start running into interesting stuff where, okay, okay, I'm going to keep this as a bulwark. I don't have any use for it, but I'm just keeping it around so it'll protect my other cards. And it's a neat, fun little game. And hey, Nocturnal Creatures. And I'll be honest. Cards is good in a deck. I'm
0: really legitimately interested in this game. Rüdiger Dorn. Uh some,
1: well, come on, Goa man. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I would Goa in my opinion is his best game. Um yep. and so
1: I, I I don't think that's a very controversial. I mean, I'm sure obviously Istanbul is his biggest hit. Sure. Um Which, but yeah, Goa. I I, I my only
0: <laughs> this might sound bad, but my only apprehension is the overproduction that Queen does, Queen Games does. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not really so much concerned about the box size as just I've seen pictures of this and it's just what is it, man? It's not the most easy to see everything. If you look at the board state, it's a little bit hard to tell because are
1: you talking about the base game?
0: Yeah, sorry, sorry. The base game. I would say so
1: I I totally it looks like a very, very busy board because yes, it's this crazy exactly, force perspective yes. pit that you feel like you could fall into while you're playing. If you actually have it in front of you, it actually reads. Pretty OK,
0: well. good. So with I, that I think said, that's more of an issue. Good, yeah. because that legitimately sounded exciting and sounded good to me. And the expansion yeah. then is only going to add to that. So good. I can put it on my list. Awesome. Thank you. Sir. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because I remember. I didn't recognize it when I filmed my video for it, but then people commented on YouTube and were like, "Oh, I guess yeah, I guess it probably does look that way." But if you see it in person, it's it, it, it does it, it's, it's a nice good. Effect. All right, uh, number three is our final overlap, completely randomly, no uh, planning whatsoever. I also have Underwater Cities' new discoveries, but I do not look at it as a means to uh, to redeem a broken game. <laughs> I, oh, that, um, I never that, said I uh, Cannot even. I never, um, sit never no, The same the table. game. Is, is good I know the game
0: easy. is good it's just not it didn't excite me i have That's
1: to fine. go back and look at your video i mean i thought it was a fan my only real issue about the game is maybe it was a bit on the long side oh oh um, boy
0: was it yes
1: yeah 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 well i've only played as a two player so maybe that was a i mean i, I, I thought as long as a two i can't even imagine it a full player oh
0: it was it it overstayed it's welcome <laughs> i remember that 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 is a okay. no doubt with four yes yeah
1: But the other thing I love about this, too, is we've talked about this a few times over the last few hours. Talk about a plucky underdog story. Um, You know, what is it? Delicious Games is the name of the publisher. That's just Vladimir and his wife. It is. And, you know, no Kickstarter, no nothing. Um, you know, there's OK, we're, we're you know, I've, I've made a lot of games. I've made a lot of other people money. I'm going to try and do this myself and make a career out of it. And so, I mean, I, you know, you talk about good people. I want this to succeed. I I, 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 I feel like I've got skin in the game. I don't. I just know they're nice, good people. And and yeah, and Shipyard is still one of the best. I,
0: and, I agree and, with all yeah. of that. And I will also say that um, to take that one step further, uh, I The folks at Rio Grande games um, Mm -hmm. are uh, Jay and Ken, legitimately good people. And mm-hmm. Jay, uh, the owner of Rio Grande Games, has done arguably as much for this industry as just about anybody out
1: there. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly.
0: the fact that they have partnered up with, um, with delicious games to bring underwater cities to the U.S., uh, I, I, yeah, I, there's a yep. whole lot of reasons I agree with you that I want all of this to succeed and to do
1: well. So I want to like this game. So, I, so, in part, what you're hoping New Discoveries includes is, how about the express version of the game? Well, just kind
0: of it, to where it it plays quicker. Um, it doesn't yeah. overstay, but also it, it just adds uh, maybe a little bit more compelling uh, modules. So, we'll see. Like I said, mm. yeah, I yeah. want to like this game more than I do. Yeah. So, there's that.
1: Okay. Well, number two, I am back at the teat of Queen Games in their (laughs) overproduction, I believe, as mentioned previously, with my only fix of Feld this year, uh, Merlin, Knights of the Round Table, which doesn't seem like it's as big an expansion as the previous one, Arthur. Uh, The main thing it seems to offer is, hey, there's 12 knights around the table, and everybody gets to pick one, and it gives you unique starting abilities. So, that's good. I love Merlin. Of course... I'd, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed not to since I'm such an unabashed f- Feld fanboy. Where I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Merlin. It got. It seems like a really Marmite game. I'm I'm familiar with it.
0: I've yet to play it because... Okay.
1: Uh, I'll be honest. Well, you're down at the deeper end of the pool. Well, you're no, really it's not enough.
0: just... I, I love some of Steffen Feld's games. Like Castles of Burgundy, mm-hmm. to me, is still mm-hmm. a classic. I like a lot of his older stuff more than his newer mm-hmm. stuff, but like uh, Speicherstadt, uh, Strasburg, uh, Macau... Um, I, I think all, Bora Bora was year of the dragon oh, I, I, to be honest with you. Oh, you're the dragon is one. Now, of,
1: come on. You said you're a masochistic player. Agreed. But
0: you're the dragon, <laughs> Notre Dame and Glenmore are the three games mm. that universally oh. are loved by people that I do not like. And two of they, them they happen not click to for be Stefan Feld. However, a lot of his older stuff, though, I really, really enjoy all the way up through Bora Bora. I thought Bora Bora was fantastic. I really enjoyed Mm. that. That said, some of his newer stuff. eh, eh. But so I haven't played Merlin, so I can't speak to it. So your thoughts, though, on Merlin?
1: Oh, I I think it's fantastic. It's interesting. It's not just him as well. It was a co-design, which is very rare for him, with Michael Renick, who is uh, Mr. Pillars of the Earth. Oh, okay, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a really weird out of left field you know tag team so i don't know maybe maybe uh maybe it would fit for you better because uh you need a little bit of that Renick sauce all
0: right so you said the 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 expansion the uh knights of the the round table is asymmetric starting
1: yeah and probably other stuff but that seems to be the main thing in the description i don't know i i backed on kickstarter side unseen because i really enjoy the base game the base game if you don't know is uh it's what if stefan feld did a roll and move game where every round you roll dice and you move a number of spaces around the board based on what the die says. The trick, of course, being that you don't just roll one die, you roll three dice. And so you start making decisions over several rounds. Okay, well, if I use this right now, I'll move one space, and then next turn I'll move the six so it'll land six, and next turn I'll use the power um, to go counterclockwise and move three instead of the six. So you actually have, even though all you're doing is rolling a few dice and then moving, as they say, a fair amount of control and a fair amount of thought a lot blossoms out of something incredibly simple, which is really a hallmark of Feld for me, that there's always just like one central thing. Um, but then, you know, it, it just explodes into a lot to think about. Uh, while still staying definitely in the mid-weight range and not going Vita La Sarda crazy. Fair
0: enough, yeah. I think that's a good yep. apt description for uh, for Stefan in general. So there you go. Yeah,
1: yeah. He, he, yeah. he is totally... He is that perfect sweet spot of exactly the level of weight my wife and I generally tend to enjoy. Um, right. And then the number one, Edge of Darkness, the Sands of Dune Star. And I'll be honest, if it wasn't for the unique um circumstances around edge of darkness this probably would have been more the 789 uh, i love Edge of Darkness, which is the latest game from John D. Clare, uh, who did uh, Mystic Veil. He created this new game concept of building cards as you go uh, by putting uh, transparent cards within sleeves, so you can literally customize your cards as you play. And Dune Star is a much bigger, heavier game where uh, uh, Mystic Veil was a very simple, light little push-your-luck game that introduced the concept. Dune Star uh, is interesting because you're building these cards, but you're putting them into a common deck, which means other players could get those cards and use the cards that you yourself had previously built. The reason I put it so high, the reason I literally put it at number one, is just for folks who are physically going to be at Essence Spiel. Um, If you ever are interested in picking up Edge of Darkness, and you do not want to get it via a Kickstarter campaign... You have to pick it up in person because it's the publisher has said repeatedly it's never going to go to retail because their profit margins are just too low because, I mean, you've seen it. There's just a ridiculous amount of plastic in that box. It's so insanely overproduced. And maybe somewhere down the road, they'll make kind of a, a strip back-streamlined version of it. That kind of seems to be becoming a thing now um, with games... You know Seventh Continent's doing it. Gloomhaven is doing it. So maybe they'll do that in the future. But if you want the full experience and you don't want to back games on Kickstarter, the only way you can get it uh, is to pick it up at conventions like this. And the same is going to be true for this expansion. So uh, that's why if I were there, it would be the number one thing I would be ensuring to get because I won't be able to get it at a friendly local game store two weeks later. So that's just something to bear in mind if you have any interest in the subject matter. The number of people who watched my video and said, I can't find this anywhere. It's not for sale on any place online. Yeah, and it won't be. So if you're not into Kickstarter, you gotta pick these up locally, which is why I put it at the top of my list. There you go. All right. Yep.
0: That was about almost 80 games. Wow. <laughs> that was uh that was, that, that was, was a lot idea? of games, guys. Uh, so hopefully You said top twenty. I did. I did. Um, because I, I, and then we added on, and, and uh, yeah, so yep. hopefully folks enjoyed this. Um, I hope so. Um, I did, did you, Richard? Yeah, yeah, I had a good time. Yeah, good I time. appreciate it. This went longer than either of us ex- expected, but uh, mm. you and I talk for a living, so I guess that was to be expected if you really stopped to think about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I rarely found uh, quite as, uh, uh, as much of a pontificator as myself. We seem to be kindred souls in this regard,
0: <laughs> which. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this and if not then uh hey
1: then I then we apologize. Exactly. So there's that.
0: <laughs> so uh Richard, I appreciate you uh coming on and doing this and it was a it was a bit of trials and tribulations to actually um get it scheduled and actually get it on uh through my fault, so I appreciate your patience and your willingness no. to come on. So thanks for doing this, man. No problem. And for folks right. that don't know, uh Richard's one of the nicest guys that you would he's a genuine There are some people in this hobby that put on a good face that are not nearly as genuine and just good people um, out there. But uh, I can vouch for uh, Richard uh, or Rado if you prefer uh, being one of them. So (laughs) so, yeah, so go check out his stuff, which uh, Rado, go ahead and tell them how to get, you know, how they can watch your stuff.
1: Oh, the easiest thing is just go to Rado, R-A-H-D-O dot com. That's just going to take you directly to the front page of my YouTube uh, site because I can't be bothered to make an actual website.
0: Should I, Edward? Is there any point? Honestly, it's a landing spot for people to go to YouTube. So honestly, no.
1: I know. YouTube already creates it. I mean, and all I'm going to do is open myself up to bot attacks and whatnot. Like poor, uh, no pun included. Remember how? Yes you know, they, they got hacked and all that. It just seems so Anyway, uh, youtube.com slash rotto or just rotto.com. And, uh, if you like, if you enjoy this long bit of rambling, well, I got literally thousands of hours more.
0: <laughs> he sells it so, so well. One other thing. Uh, so obviously if you're listening to this, you already subscribe, or at least I hope you do. Uh, if not, then go to, uh, whatever app you're listening to and subscribe both to uh, heavy cardboard as well as uh Roto talks through on the podcast. And last but not least, if you guys enjoy the content that either Me at Heavy Cardboard or Richard over at uh, Rado runs through uh, if you enjoy our content. Consider supporting either or both of us over on Patreon. Mine is patreon.com forward slash Heavy Cardboard. And Rado, what is yours? forward slash rotto easy enough there you go yep uh so thanks again to everybody that endured uh i believe everybody should get a medal (laughs) for having gone through all of this and
1: on a it was a marathon it
0: was but hopefully (laughs) uh folks enjoyed it and again richard thanks again for taking the time to do this i really appreciate it i really enjoy it and uh, hopefully you and i can do some some stuff again in the future
1: All right. If I'm ever in Boston, I'll swing by. Sounds
0: good. And uh, if I'm ever in a small location in the Northwest, (laughs) I will do the same, okay? All right. All right. Take care, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.